0: Listen up, Gotham.
1: Testing, testing,
0: one, two,
1: three, ooh. Hi, buttons. it's me, Holly
2: Quinn. This is Batman. This is Robin. Tune into the Bat Fanatic Podcast. The Bat Fanatic Podcast. The Bat Fanatic Podcast. The Bat Fanatic Podcast, Bat Fanatic podcast with Sammy Warmhands. With Sammy Warmhands. The Bat Fanatic Podcast. Bat Fanatic Podcast.
1: Although, Sam. You might think about changing the name. <laughs>
0: Hey everybody, it's the Dark Knight of Rap, Sammy Warmhands, and this is the Bat Fanatic Podcast. As always, I'll be joined by my co-hosts, Ben and Evan, and this will be the second to last time that you hear this trio together. That's right. It is nearly the end of season three and Ben and Evan will be moving on. So enjoy this three hour jam packed discussion. I left all the tangents and discussions about the influence the impact of the film and the controversy and all of our other interests. It's all here. Just a good long episode about the controversial Todd Phillips' Joaquin Phoenix film, Joker. This is going to be an epic one, (laughs) because there's a lot to talk about in this
1: movie. The Swamp Thing book? Yes. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot to digest. Uh, It's the Swamp Thing movie. It needs 20 pages. (laughs) Right, yes.
0: From the 80s with Wes Craven, who, strangely enough- What? Yeah, yeah. What? Is it Adrienne Barbeau or something? Oh, yeah. She's also the voice of Catwoman in the animated series. Oh, very interesting.
1: I know about her because uh, there's this episode in C Lab 2021 where they're having this whole thing about these like great robot wars and will they transition their bodies into robot bodies, you know, so that they're on the winning side when the robots come and blah, blah, blah. And Captain Murphy is saying something about like, but could my robot body be a Beautiful woman, <laughs> and, he, and he calls himself an Adrian Barbobot. <laughs> that's
2: good, that's I good. I don't
1: think I can even picture this person's face, only Captain Murphy's stupid mug. <laughs> she's
2: the um, not quite love interest, but she's like the main woman in Escape from New York. Oh, okay, she's Man, like I haven't a, seen that kind me. of a sex symbol of like the 70s and 80s. She's in Cannonball Run. There's a famous scene where like they get pulled over by the cop. She's like, wait, I got this. And she unzips her catsuit to reveal her cleavage. <laughs> and then the cop comes up, and it's like a super busty woman.
3: And she's like, <laughs> oh. okay,
2: so license and registration, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's
2: funny. I don't suppose
3: you have a driver's license tucked down in there somewhere, do you? Yes.
1: I've been bested by your bust.
0: <laughs> wow, I'm going to start saying that anytime it ends a little too early. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I made the post online today that this will be our last two episodes that we're, we're recording. We're going to talk more about that on the final one because we'll have more time. I'm excited to do this with you guys, and uh, it's been really <laughs> yeah. fun. So thanks for being here, Ben. Why did we end on Edgelord Joker? Evan? Hey. Okay, cool. I tried. I tried. Wow, wow, kind of derailed us with that question, though. Yeah, but uh, it's because it's your favorite. Okay. No, part of the reason that. Are you being blackmailed? <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, uh, what's. <laughs> because there's a copycat of the Joker and he knows where I live. No. Is he <laughs> here in the room with us now? <laughs> <laughs> when I was doing the take 92 podcast my first one which is interviewing musicians i did an episode as i mentioned before a long time ago reviewing the justice league movie when that came out and then later i did one with my friend brian Stevenson reviewing joker when it came out and i was like i gotta stop doing this i love talking about it but i gotta stop doing this on my music show it doesn't make any sense Mm. And so that was kind of the first thing that planted the seed for me to consider doing this. And it wasn't until a couple months later when I went to the convention in San Antonio and saw Michael Keaton, and that ended up being our episode zero. You know, mm-hmm. it was his Q&A session. I put that bootleg recording up, and then we started. While I was in the airport, coming home from that, I wrote... Fifty episodes, I thought we could do, and to me, this is just kind of a full circle moment of like, uh, man, I really got to do that with the guys though, because there's so many fun things to talk about. So mm. that's yeah, why
2: we're this here. This is a really fun movie. Now,
1: oh yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a. Neat there's a, there's our, a ton of fun real, stuff the, to talk about.
2: The fun and excitement we have for Batman, yeah. seems special.
0: I mean, there's a lot of laughter in it, right? Mm, yeah. Yeah. right? Sure. yeah,
1: yeah.
2: You could say it's a. We all have a condition, really.
0: <laughs> I have a few. All right. Joker, 2019, directed by Todd Phillips, written by Todd Phillips and Scott Silver. Uh, Who's also done some of my other favorite movies, like The Fighter and Eight Mile. Todd Phillips, he's like old school? Todd Phillips is old school, The Hangover. It is so impressive to me that that guy pulled this off because... Well, he,
2: did he do the big short before this? Did he That's do Adam short? McKay. Okay, never mind. So
0: Adam McKay transitioned into the big short and Vice and Don't Look Up and he's brilliantly done this. But I feel like a lot of times you'll watch a movie that's a drama and it looks like a comedy director shot this movie or something it's like it doesn't have the emotional i, I don't know like uh, it's just mm-hmm. it's missing some of the moments that make you really feel what the characters are going through it's got this sort of very practical utilitarian camera placement where it's like they're used to doing a multicam thing where uh, coverage is the only thing that matters you mm-hmm. know and i feel like i can generally spot those from a mile away and this movie is not that at all, so it's a huge accomplishment, really, just for that alone. Not from the director of Old School, yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> I mean, it's,
2: it's, a harrowing hear, tale of you'll mental hear Kevin instability. Smith
0: mm. Talk about these big-budget superhero movies, and he'll have his critiques, but he'll be the first one to say, like, "Look, don't put me in the same sentence as the Russo brothers or something." Like, I could never do what they do. I am also a director in name only. I do not do what these people can do, and I think that that's something. That's important to realize as an artist. You know, I separate myself from sure, I've been playing guitar for, I don't know, 30 years or something, but I'm not a Joe Satriani kind of player. Mm -hmm. I'm not a Ben Polanski kind of player, right? I'm a songwriter. You know, you kind of know what your thing is. And so for a guy to take this sort of leap is really impressive to me.
1: Yeah, I appreciate if that's confidence. I think that's rad. The whole thought that, You don't really have any reason to, other than just believing in yourself. You don't really have a a basis for like I could probably do that. (laughs) You know, like you seem old school, right? You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can make a movie. (laughs) Uh, The cameo with Snoop Dogg. Come on, (laughs) yeah. I just think that's really cool, and I wonder what pushed him in that direction in the first place. Yeah, it really seems like a passion
0: project for him, and. I want to talk about his influences and stuff, but let me first finish this opening part, which is starring Joaquin Phoenix, Robert De Niro, Zazie Beats, and Francis Conroy, with some amazing supporting actors like Mark Marin, Bill Camp, Shea Wiggum. It goes on and on. This is just a great bench of talent on this. And music composed by, and I'm sorry already, but Hilder Guanadatir?
2: I can't see it, so I don't know yeah. how you're mispronouncing. <laughs> Sounds
1: I right. I own the
0: soundtrack, the score from this movie, and it's wonderful. That it's main theme f- is
2: really nice. That to-
1: I don't know if that's like a cello or something, but like the really low strings are awesome yes. in this. There's a lot of really
2: ominous, moody kind of music in it from the jump. Because mm-hmm. like the very mm-hmm. first scene has those like slow drums. They almost feel like a battle thing, like mm-hmm. like the storm is coming. Like, yeah. dung, 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 and he's just wandering around not doing anything.
0: To me, it's very Johnny Greenwood's score for There Will Be Blood. Like when I first saw this movie, I immediately thought of that. It's funny too, because both of those movies I saw in theaters with my wife when they came out. And we tend to love a lot of the same movies. And she hates both of those fucking movies. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> because they're super creepy, violent movies. And the music is so tense. And like,
2: the whole time. It just, it's yeah. unsettling, you know. To the point where if there's ever, I can't even remember if there are, but in movies like that, if there's ever a scene where something good is happening, you're like, this isn't going to happen, right? Because <laughs> this whole movie so far has just been feeling bad. Yeah, this yeah. must be a daydream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somebody like a car's about to hit someone. Yeah. or So on that note, uh, my
0: first experience with this movie was, of all things, for our 20th anniversary, finally took my wife to Hawaii, which had been a long time dream of hers. And I don't like flying. And I especially didn't like the idea of flying over the ocean for quite a while. Just to be in the sun. Well, that too. (laughs) Yeah. So we did it. It was a big deal. You know, we're finally there and we're having a great time. And then this movie comes out. And I know that because I follow all these fan pages and whatever, I'm like, this movie will be spoiled for me if we don't see it this weekend. Mm. And so I kind of twisted her arm and we went. You know, Again, she loves going to the movie premieres with me, but not in the middle of our 20-year vacation to the place she's always wanted to go. And so it was already like, okay, it's a concession. And it turned out to be like the most sickening, just like... (laughs) Mood killing, <laughs> day ruining experience. Yeah, it was hey, like you one of those make out.
1: What kind of crap on this perfect vacation?
0: Perfect, yeah, it was one of those idyllic vacation days where you know you're you're just away from everything and you're out there and you're living life together and it feels good and you're trying new things and it's like wow, this is you know everything we thought it could be and then like all right, let's go check out this movie after dinner. <laughs> And it was Fuck. like the biggest downer I think I've ever experienced like a, a 180 Let's in go. my day. I,
2: I've heard a lot about this new movie that should be pretty fun for our uh, anniversary. It's called Requiem for a Dream. <laughs>
1: oh my gosh. Uh, Great cast. You Let's step see. out the theater and you're looking at the ocean and the palm trees like,
2: ew. <laughs>
0: <laughs> a sick this place world.
2: fucking sucks. So, Everything's broken. That said,
0: <laughs> I want to know if either of you remember what your first experience was with this movie. Did you see it when it came out, or did you happen to catch it, you know, on HBO eventually, or you have seen it before? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I didn't watch it in the theater, so I must have just watched it at home when it came out.
0: I remember you had a sketch of Joaquin's Joker at some point. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I was very content to not watch this movie ever again. Yeah, I have like a short list of one and dones and this was on the list. Well, right. we
0: talked about on the last session, I think. You're like, oh, yeah, this movie is great, but I don't, not this one, but like such and such is great, but I I don't really want to watch a super violent movie right now, Mm -hmm. you know? were talking about the
2: killer. Everything going, Mm -hmm. oh, right,
0: yeah, just like with everything going on in the world right now, it's, you know, I've seen enough carnage or whatever, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, they're going to hate this episode.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I I will say, I mean, it's, I wasn't like upset the first time I watched it, but this time I was was, like, the story is effective and it works on me, but Mm -hmm. I wasn't. It was to the point where I was watching it with Mika, and she's like, "My friends told me I shouldn't watch this movie because of the things." She's like, "Very sensitive." I'm like, "I don't, I don't think it's that bad." But so she ended up just she's down going, with the fish fucking movie. But not- <laughs> it's not the fucking; it's the uh, romance of it, oh, yeah, the intimacy, right. the uh okay. whatever. I don't In- need to explain why some women love The Shape of Water. It's uh, <laughs> sure, if you know, you know. Yep. Um But so, but this time even more, I was like, I don't feel. This didn't make me feel bad or anything like that. But so my first experience with it was hearing all the hype and everything. And even before right. it came out, I'm like, well, Joaquin Phoenix is an amazing actor. A little bit of a, a butthead at times, but always great on screen. Because we'll always remember the Casey Affleck era where he was in character the whole time oh, and yeah, we just yeah. thought he'd lost his mind. Yeah, <laughs> It's like it's, it's kind of pretentious to put other people through that. I'm like, It's like it was all a character. Remember those awkward interactions we had? And No, it's uh, a just, movie. Yeah. Oh. And you're in it. Uh, but um <laughs> despite that, looking at it going like uh, I don't want to watch this fucking movie, like I appreciate the Joker character and like Batman stories are good because of him. But at the same time, I think just a lot of people at different points and different versions of the characters have like missed the point a little bit, which I've complained about before of like he sucks. Yeah. And sometimes they make him that's that's my whole thing. That this is not an Edgelord Joker. The whole an Edgelord Joker means. See how cool it is that I'm this evil? Yeah. Uh, Something has to be like, man, it's like a fight club. Like, if you weren't such a fucking pussy, you could be (laughs) this guy too. Where this is like not that. I like how Chuck Palahniuk recently
0: had to make another statement saying like, look, if idiot frat boys watched that movie and didn't realize that Tyler was the bad guy, I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Yeah. It's more about
2: them than it is about my story.
0: Yes and you bring up an interesting point with the hype because this movie was like a small budget movie that made a billion dollars and it was largely because of not advertising and not the fact that everyone wanted this movie cuz this came out when this came out before the Snyder cut for example and so like that universe is still happening this was before the second wonder woman that universe is still going, and this is probably the first time an existing universe has been ongoing in theaters, and then they went, we're going to do some Elseworlds shit. Here's the
2: Venom movie, yeah. guys. You were, you were ready for this, right? right. And it was it was that sort for. of thing.
0: And my reaction was like, why? The comedy guy is going to make a, a Joker movie separate from everything with Joaquin Phoenix. like Like, again, don't get me wrong, I love Joaquin Phoenix, but like, why like who is this for yeah and, and I, then it was the controversy over people going oh this is a really violent movie he's the protagonist this is going to you know
2: this incite is incite the incels and uh
0: yeah i mean this is like the the fucking heart of you know american school shootings on the rise again and all this crazy shit and people are like this is a bad time for this to come out don't support it and that inspires the
2: debate and then all of a sudden the controversy is bigger than the movie and that's box why, office gold. Well, and that's why I was like, I'm just going to, I'll come back to this later. Like I don't, there's no shortage of things to do or movies to watch so I'll just, mm-hmm. I react to hype anyway. I'm like, don't fucking tell me what to do. I hate you. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, a yeah, boss, totally. not you. Evan's with you on this one. Yeah, so, but yeah, just wait for it
1: to pass and then yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and come <laughs> at it at a time when you you're free of all that. You can just like accept it for what it is so 20 years later you're like you know the sopranos was pretty good yeah well no i actually still haven't watched this movie so i'm excited to hear you guys tell me about it. <laughs> I, that's I, not I, a funny joke anymore it happened yeah. last time Remember? <laughs> well, uh, i watched the 1993 direct to fox broadcasting joker that's what we were going to watch yes right? that's the one starring david hasselhock um,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: people are gonna start googling what was uh, that i knew <laughs> i missed that he was nick fury in the for tv it. shield movie I will say the trailer for this, I, I from the beginning, I thought the trailer was awesome. Like that, that smile, though you're feeling lonely. Like that mm. sets the mood really, really well. And I didn't think it was going to be bad or I didn't wasn't going to like it. I just was like, I'm not going to watch it right now.
0: Yeah, again, I sort of felt like I don't need this. This could be good. This could be bad. But like, why? Man, I, I was just stuck on why does this exist? Because we have an existing thing that's you know, anyway,
2: turned out it's pretty good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let's get into the story here. The film opens with the iconic I Tonya shot, as I'll call it, of him putting on the makeup in the mirror, the clown makeup with tears in his eyes, followed by him getting robbed and beaten in the street at his sign spinning job as he's writhing in pain on the ground. I didn't even notice this before, but It's a long shot that's kind of close up and slowly backing out. He reaches into his vest or whatever and squeezes something and the water comes out of his flower on Mm -hmm. his chest, um, which I thought was actually laughed at that this time. And as the camera pans out, we get the, the title credit screen right there. And I think very clearly we're sort of
2: building a, a very specific and different world than we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's, it's children who are beating him up, and not just that they're like particularly sadistic about it—they're mm-hmm. like kick him each, harder, yeah, egging yeah. each other on to do that. And he's just, oh my god, please don't do this. Um, it, a lot of it feels like like '70s New York. Well, yeah, yeah that, and this is—I think, too.
0: yeah, I think the movie takes place in like 1982 or something like that, and it's definitely made a lot was discussed about that like oh it's just fucking taxi driver ripoff when they put it in the batman universe to get it made or like this is just a ripoff of the king of comedy or whatever and like i want to talk about those those movies as we go because i've seen both of those movies but in preparation for this i decided Not only did I listen to my old ass podcast from years ago with my friend Brian, because we had just seen the movie for the first time, and your fresh thoughts are long forgotten after you've Mm -hmm. seen a movie numerous times. So I listened to that. But then on Friday, I watched The King of Comedy, and I watched Taxi Driver. I've never seen The King of Comedy. Before watching this movie. Uh, It's hard to find generally. It's not one of the more popular ones. I couldn't find it on any of my streaming apps, and I don't own it. I found the entire thing on YouTube. (laughs) One upload, Uh, not a bunch of fucking chapters and shit, no ads, and
2: it's passable quality. So I watched the whole thing on YouTube. (laughs) And both those films, Robert De Niro is the anti-hero, antagonist hero, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. He is our, our window into that
0: world, I will say. What's interesting about De Niro in terms of the king of comedy and this movie is that it's a role reversal because he's the struggling comedian in that movie mm. trying to get on this talk show uh, with Jerry Lewis and... In this one, you know, he's the one with the, the comfy gig that mm. uh, the, our, our hero is spying jokes, to, you know. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Super rats, super cats, you know. It is interesting in that way, and there are some parallels which I'll I'll mention later, but this movie was able to exist even in the midst of all these other films coming out in the DC EU because it was out of time. Mm-hmm. You know, this is 30 years ago. It's grimy New York. It's a totally different feel. There's not... If you just put, like you said, Venom, when we've got all the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies coming out, like, mm. are they going to run into each other or not?
1: What the fuck's going... You know, you don't have that feeling at all. Yeah, you're not trying to pitch to me that somehow these things are all happening simultaneously. Yeah. I liked to, in the very beginning, when he's putting on his makeup, to that the sort of radio or TV is talking about the garbage strike. How the city's filthy and... Yeah, without seeing anything, it just sets the table really quick. Okay, cool, it's set in the past. I know this to be like a difficult kind of grimy time. Yeah. Um, On top of that, like every day, 15 tons of garbage is piling up. (laughs) You're like, Like damn. The
2: infrastructure of the city is failing and the bureaucracy is failing and none of these people have jobs and the garbage is everywhere. I mean, it's a really great, I don't want to say, like it's contrivance because then you get all these amazing scenes where there's just garbage everywhere.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's in front of stores. Get back all,
0: all the alleys, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's everywhere. We cut now to Arthur in plain clothes laughing in what looks like a very painful, involuntary manner. He's in therapy and the opening line is... Is it just me?
3: Or is it getting crazier out there?
0: The social worker asks to read his notebook, which looks like totally fucking insane at first glance, and she focuses on the line, I just hope my death makes more sense with a C uh, than my life. And she's like, huh, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. A good joke you. <laughs> you got a bright future ahead of you, buddy. He says that he was probably happier when he was committed to the hospital, and we get a very brief
1: flashback of him bashing his head against the wall in a white room. That part is interesting, like she asks him why he was there. He's like, "You know, I don't know." <laughs> uh, how did you How do you not know?
0: So I don't know how much you guys have been in a really hospital thought
2: about yeah <laughs> in my many stays, <laughs> I could tell you they've gotten worse. no when well, this would take place like in a, before Ronald Reagan emptied out all the mental asylums. Kind of
0: I think we're kind time. of
2: witnessing the, it happen. In oh, they're cutting. This, you know, the budget because, for everything. Oh, uh, yeah. Because yeah, you know? at sense. a
0: certain point, he gets told like, "Oh, yeah, this is over." Mm-hmm. You know. But I don't know how much you guys have thought about or kind of analyzed the conclusions of this movie. But this is the first hint we're getting in terms of what is real and what is not. Oh,
1: because the, the delusion. Yes. Yeah, because that makes sense.
0: In this fucking four-second flashback. The clock on the wall has the exact same time as the clock he's currently sitting by in the therapy session, which is 11-11. Hmm. There are little things that go all the way to the end of the movie that will continue to make you wonder some of it, what is real? Some of it, what order did these things happen? Things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But this is kind of the first example of it. Still, even though he said he was happier in the mental hospital... She denies his request for a higher dosage, saying he's already on seven different medications. They have to be doing something. Yeah. And he basically says, I just don't want to feel this bad anymore. On the bus ride home, he gets scolded by a mother for making faces at her kid. His uncomfortable laughter is accompanied by a card that reads, please forgive my laughter. I have a condition. I fucking love this part. And I think that Jeff Johns actually wrote something similar in Three Jokers. I think it was in the third book. One of the Jokers says, like, I'm going to let you in on a little secret about the Joker. It hurts when I laugh, you know, Mm, mm -hmm. which I don't think he took from this. I think they were made around the same time. Uh, But I love that element of it. I think that's part of what makes his performance so different and so, I guess, just human, you know, mm -hmm. that – He's so alone and ostracized, and this thing it we'll see like in the comedy club and other places, he doesn't know how to act around people and he kind of watches them for cues. But he also has this thing that like just makes everyone fucking uncomfortable and he can't stop. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it plays into it too because the the uncomfortableness makes it happen more. It's just this weird...
2: Yeah, because he's always uncomfortable, then it keeps happening. and Yeah. Yeah. other people read into it as him, like, taunting them, which Mm. makes them upset. When she's like,
0: oh, you think this is fucking funny? And he's shaking his head with a grimace on his face, but he's, like, fucking
1: cracking up too, Mm. and it's just, it's a very interesting thing to see. I think that this also, another table-setting kind of thing, like... Yes. This is just, like, how crappy it is out there and how misunderstood he is that he's trying to have this interaction with just any kid just, yeah, just kid who's it,
2: staring at him
1: yeah just what yeah exactly well he's just engaging him and and he is a clown
0: for kids by his job yeah, yeah. so here he is out in the world and she just looks at him like who's this freak you know stop bothering yeah. my kid And he's like i work with children <laughs> totally. At his dilapidated apartment, Arthur cooks dinner for his aging mother, and she mentions that Thomas Wayne hasn't responded to her letters. Together, they watch the Murray Franklin Show, which is uh, basically the Johnny Carson Show but with Robert De Niro. Arthur imagines himself in the audience and then singled out by Murray himself. He brings Arthur on stage and says that he's special and he he wishes he had a son just like you. I'd give it all up if I had a son just like you. And this Mm -hmm. is clearly a a guy who, again, is not only just a big loner, but he doesn't have a father in his life. You know, he's taking care of his elderly mother. Like, you can see the longing and the fantasy. Because right at at this point, it seems very innocent that he just wants someone to give him an attaboy and a hug and, you know. mm -hmm. To be special. and Yeah, yeah. But we're kind of transported from him watching the TV to him in the studio at the show. De Niro, I would say, is pitch perfect in this role like so many of his supporting roles have been in recent years. Bad grandpa. Yeah. I, haven't, <laughs> Meet the no, I haven't seen it. <laughs> no, that's a leading role. Okay. But I think that we don't need to discuss his fucking legendary accolades or his greatness, but...
2: You get to a point where they'll give you money to do anything. And so I but get...
0: he has also done things, which anyone has in a long, long career, where he's just kind of doing his thing, you mm-hmm. know? And I feel like in a, a movie like Silver Linings Playbook or Amsterdam, uh, actually really... Stardust. American Hustle, like all three of those David Russell movies, he's in smaller parts and he's bringing out something different in himself that I think is more interesting than seeing him you know lead another tough guy thing or or whatever it is mm-hmm. you know yeah. this very much feels like that like he's bringing his A game he's trying to not only be that sort of old school comic type but also sort of the
2: beacon of morality in this movie but in a way that's like establishment you sort of don't like him like you don't think he should be killed but you're like well he's very you're a jerk
0: He's very stiff, and he is definitely taking all those cheap shots that those type of comics do. Yeah, I mean, They poke fun at celebrities or whoever's the person of
1: the hour or whatever.
0: But you also see him as sort of the personified reaction to a lot of what Arthur does at a mm. certain point.
1: I know that part of comedy is poking fun at people. And- Don't
2: mansplain comedy to me. Yeah, okay. fuck Sorry. You.
1: yeah my bad. I take that back. Um, <laughs> I take it back. Comedy is not about that. Like every, Don't laugh at home. Don't laugh. Everybody treating Arthur as if he is in the same mental space as them or something. Right. So that's all well and good to poke fun at somebody who has the same amount of confidence as you or, or is right. in on the game or Self something. Awareness and, and, yeah, awareness Yeah, we just, uh, you know, jabs back and forth. But how can anybody look at dude or interact with him and not realize that you're not thinking about things in the same way and stuff and then continue to do those things anyways. Yeah. Not like don't poke the bear, but how can you be so unaware? And so he seemingly cares for these three business guys that got murdered on the subway or something, but can't see what's like sitting right next to him. And that's and kind the of like stuff the, affects him.
2: The meat of the movie is the yeah. divide of the people who look at him and see what he's done, and they read into it in their own ways. But like, a whole group of people are like, "Yeah, we're tired of being kicked. Let's explode!" And then a yeah. whole bunch of other people who are in a better situation who are like, "What's wrong with you? Totally. Yeah, why would you do something this extreme? Like, what's right? I don't understand."
1: And it it does feel a little the scenario that I don't like in stuff where people just don't explain themselves. You know, maybe live television at that moment wasn't the time to. Well, no, it was a pretty good opportunity. Like, <laughs> how, how come he he never says uh, I was coming to the defense of this woman, or there was just a misunderstanding or something? You well, know,
0: it's that typical movie thing where like, why didn't you yeah, just call him on the cell phone? You could, yeah, you could clear up yeah. some things if you just. But at the same time, like. When you're in the moment, you're not always thinking of the right thing to say as well. Yeah, but, you know, so so many times we're like, "Oh man, I should have fucking said," you know. Whatever. Yeah, because we've already
2: established he's not like all there, so no. he's not going to make the right choice. And also, I think he's made the transformation at that point into just being yeah. It has pure, nothing to do with the chaotic.
0: Someone's on her. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> now we cut to Arthur's skeletal back, looking like Christian Bale in The Machinist. He's in the. Clown locker room, whatever. Why do you say
1: oh, it like that's not a thing? Yeah. I don't <laughs> know exactly what, what to is. call it. Clowns only. I don't, I don't know what he's doing with this. I think he's breaking in his clown shoes. Yeah, or maybe they lace up so high that you have to stretch them that far down in order to get your feet in. But the way that they... Obviously, intentionally, he's making these like... Yeah, these these like... Wrenching, just these weird sounds, and then it. But it's his back, and so it gives you the impression that it's like his body creaking mm, uh, and stuff.
0: His coworker Randall gives him a gun after hearing about him getting
2: mugged in the street, and well, says, fuck "Randall, you need to protect yourself out there." That guy's a great actor. He was in Boardwalk Empire, and he was a character who always talked about himself in the third person. So He was huh. just like, "Fuck you, <laughs> yeah, he's like, George Blabla's needs a little bit of this, George." Uh, uh, yeah, he a really was great actor. He was great in this. He was in True Detective also, I think. Oh, one it's of good. the good seasons? The first season. <laughs> okay, yeah. good. I think it's him. Arthur insists
0: that he's not supposed to have a gun, but Randall also insists. He makes some joke to Gary, a little person, and Arthur laughs with him as he exits the room. This is one of the best shots in the movie, I think, where the camera follows him down the hall, as the laughter stops. And I think at this point, I'm starting to feel like we are really getting to see a once in a lifetime kind of performance here. Like Mm. this is one of the moments where I think you kind of like him basically crying, shaking his head. No while laughing, you know, but I think this of him doing that maniacal laugh and they use it in the trailer, but this whole long shot down the hallway, it's just the, perfect combination of like
2: social awkwardness, his fucked up condition and Yeah, is he laughing because the one he thinks he's supposed to and also the joke made him a little uncomfortable and so he's just like
0: I think it's kind of both uh and you know then he walks into the boss's office who's uh, played by a I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Is Josh Pius? He was uh, the voice of Raphael in the first Turtles movies, oh. And you can kind of hear it what? a couple times in the movie. I know. I just know. was um, like, oh, it's that guy. Particularly as he, like, chews him out on the phone later. You can hear the, like, angry New York thing come mm. out. Like, it's Raph! <laughs> Bullshit. What kind of
1: clown carries a fucking gun? You got to know what a crump it is to understand.
0: Because Raph saying fuck a lot. But <laughs> he does not believe Arthur's story about getting jumped. And he says, like, just give the sign back. You know, like, just- Why would I take a sign?
2: Who knows why mad men do what they do? He's
0: like, do it or I'm going to take it out of your paycheck. And the music creeps in and slowly drowns out his boss. And we just push closer and closer on Arthur's disturbing smile. Mm. And then after way too long of that, which I love, then we cut to him beating the shit out of these bags of trash in the alleyway and first time I watched this I was like is he beating his boss behind that dumpster like (laughs) oh no he's just wishing he's just wishing he was you know and then at the end of this he actually kind of collapses in despair and frustration at the apartment building Arthur holds the elevator for a woman named Sophie and her child I'm sure she regrets this decision forever (laughs) yeah the elevator stalls and she makes the taxi driver gun motion to her head Especially because, like, her little kid is like,
2: Mommy, Mommy, where we got, blah, blah, blah. Yeah.
0: And then they're stuck in a broken right. elevator. And she, I think she said something about, like, this fucking building sucks. <clears throat> you know. And as they get off at the same floor, Arthur then stops to repeat this motion, the gun to the head, and then creepily stand there staring until she goes into her
2: apartment. <laughs> it's like, Oh, I thought that's what we were doing. It was just inappropriate. Playing to, along, right? To Respond it? in kind.
1: Yeah. You did it first. <laughs> <what> Simon says. <laughs>
2: Oh, Devin over here. He's a real son of a bitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a fucking piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's you. what we're doing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: this Zazie has a very nice smile. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she has a nice set of teeth.
0: I only know her from this and Deadpool 2. She's in uh, Atlanta
2: also.
1: Oh, She's I've heard that's a good interest. show.
2: It's really good. Strange mm. and weird. It could exist in this universe. It's uh, <laughs> that fucked up? Maybe more fucked up just because it's very surreal. Oh, a lot I'm of there's up. things they're like. Christ. There's a whole episode where they go to a way to
0: make me not want to see it now. So it's
2: not upsetting. They go to a celebrity <laughs> pro basketball tournament or whatever, and Justin Bieber is one of the people playing, and it's just some black guy. But he's, he is Justin Bieber in this universe. <laughs> he's just a young black man, shit talking everyone, and, and he's funny. Justin Bieber also. Okay. It's I'm, very strange. I'm very confused now.
0: Arthur bathes his mother. Let's get on to the naked old lady. <laughs> and she continues to worry about Thomas Wayne not helping them out. He tells her that, it's okay, I'll take care of you with my stand-up career. And she says, but Arthur, <laughs> don't you have to be funny to be a comedian? What a <laughs> sick burn. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. And she is so Shit. sincere in this moment of like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, so flat. Afterward, he watches TV while playing with his new revolver. He dances and talks to himself He's like, before. Hey, hey Arthur. You're a really cool. good dancer. <laughs> I, know,
3: <that's> so funny. <laughs> I actually quoted
0: that line when I was rewatching it the other day. Then he shoots a hole in the wall because he's like, "Oh, I am a really good dancer. You know who's not him?" And he just fucking shoots his own living room and quickly turns up the TV and tells his mom, "It's OK, I'm watching a war movie." Which, on an old-ass 70s TV... Like, yeah, while a laugh track goes on. <laughs> <laughs> turn, what? It out, turn it
1: <laughs> on! Turn it on!
0: The next day, he stalks Sophie on her way to work. And that night, Arthur goes to a comedy club and takes notes from the crowd. He laughs at all the wrong parts, taking cues from the audience to know when to react. At home, he continues writing in his journal, but he switches hands. Now... He's writing left-handed and really sloppy. And this is an early cue that this is a dissociative personality, perhaps. Immediately preceding this, and it's something you really got to kind of pay attention to, and I didn't notice it the first few times I saw it, but he's writing right-handed in the fucking comedy club, and then they immediately transition to him at his desk. He switched hands, and it looks all fucking insane. That's interesting. I didn't notice that at all. Yeah, no, me neither. So again, another real subtle clue. Sophie knocks on the door, asking if he followed her earlier. She laughs it off though, saying, "I was hoping you'd come in and rob the place." He jokes,
2: "Well, I have a gun. I could come back tomorrow." Which is like as textbook like be on Reddit or something like. So. Tell me, was this weird? I said this to a girl. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I thought things were going really well. And you're like, do I need to report this guy or not?
0: Uh, She laughs, and he invites her to see him at the comedy club sometime. The next day, Arthur sings, if you're happy and you know it, at a children's hospital. While doing the stomp your feet part, the gun falls out of his pant leg. He grabs it immediately and plays it off as a joke. I love the face he makes here. He, like crosses his arms is like a tight smile and like puts his finger like, shh, don't tell anyone. So
2: much of this stuff is so awkward. Yeah, one of the little kids like does gun fingers at him.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and he tries to also play it off as a joke when his boss calls him and gets fired. Now, here's where you hear the fucking New York Raphael shit. Yeah, Like, you brought a fucking gun to a fucking kid's park? You know, Damn! I gotta insert that sample now. Come back here! I'm not finished with you! Damn! The next scene mirrors 1974's Charles Bronson Death Wish film and the 2007 Gender Bend remake with Jodie Foster, The Brave One. They're on the subway as some white-collar douchebags harass a woman, three-on-one, ganging up, And Arthur, still in his full clown makeup from the hospital, bald cap, wig, all of that, starts laughing uncontrollably and draws their attention. The woman walks to another car, and one bully starts singing, send in the clowns. This is another moment where I start to feel like this could be some sort of hallucination, distorted reality, I don't really know. Cause he goes on and does like the whole song and it does not feel real as the guys are all creeping up on him. And Todd Phillips described this character before the movie came out as an unreliable narrator. So having read that interview and then watching this movie the whole time, I'm kind of trying to figure out like, when are we in his head mm-hmm. and when are we watching him, mm-hmm. you know, objectively Once they've beaten him badly enough, and they sure do, he shoots two of them four times, and the third gets away. He chases him onto the subway platform and shoots four more times.
1: That math doesn't add up. With a
0: handgun revolver. Yeah. So again... Well, this is the
2: DC universe, you know.
0: No. (laughs) But again, I'm just making
2: the trail of breadcrumbs as we go here. Of what is real and what is not. Well, that's interesting because when I think of like this whole scene, up until the point where he chases the other guy down and executes him, when you're on a late night subway train and three men are beating you severely, yes, I, a lot of people would argue that's a time that it's okay to shoot one of them. Whether, whether that, regardless that of what you feel about defense. guns.
0: Which is why it mirrors The Brave One and Death Wish, which those are movies where someone suffered a horrible tragedy and decided they were going to become the vigilante, right? And if anyone fucks with them again, you know, whatever. And so But this those is literally movies,
2: in that moment.
0: I know, but I'm saying like those movies make it more premeditated. They make it look more cool. I'm fighting back. And in this moment it is much different he is minding his own business he does get attacked but there is a shift mid scene
2: as he then pursues this guy who's running and pleading for his life and guns him down on cold blood but then on top of that when you frame it in the idea of like what is real or what isn't that makes me also think like well all we really know cuz the way the other characters react to the movie is that he killed those three guys on the subway yeah otherwise it's like how much else of that Happened? Yeah, we don't know that that last it. part even happened, or um, that that the because he did
0: tag him once as he was
2: running away. But even that, like, how much of the first part happened? Well, yeah, with how the much song it, and all that too. Well, how much was he actually really being beaten? Was it that, or was it like that in his head? Was he perceiving sure. a threat that wasn't there? And that's like, yeah, absolutely. You know, based I, I, on their behavior to that woman, yeah, he could
0: totally overwhelmed. Now he runs up to the street and locks himself in a public bathroom, which. Did 1970s, 80s New York used to just have public bathrooms you could go into? Because I tell you, when I'm downtown anywhere, I'm like, where can I take a piss? I think so. I want to know. But I figured there would be someone sleeping in it. But Yeah. Anyway, the ringing in his ears that we've heard ever since the gunshots, it fades away. And his frantic breath is now under control. And we see the first ever Joker dance, which was actually filmed the day that Todd Phillips got the first sample of music for the film
3: mm-hmm.
0: and used the actual music, and that's what he danced to in that scene in real time. That's cool.
1: React to this.
0: The scene was largely made up on the spot. As Joaquin said, they struggled to illustrate the change from Arthur to Joker in that moment. And the whole thing was supposed to be like he he looks in the mirror at himself and there's a thing, and they couldn't figure out how to do it. Mm. Joaquin called it an unexpected and strange process that was really enjoyable
2: finding that version of it. I mean the, it's been it's been mentioned before in every commentary about this movie but his physical performance is crazy in this of yeah. the showing all the different states he's in and what that means for his body and his tension versus when he's loose and yes. I mean by the end of it he's a pretty good dancer. His, little, his moves <laughs> out on stage are Yeah. Is yeah, yeah. Really he really good dancer. Dancer.
0: Yeah. Afterward, there's a brief shot of Sophie greeting him at her door, and they go inside together. The next day, he's cleaning out his locker at work, having been fired. The other clowns are talking about the subway shooting. They ask about his gun at the children's hospital as well, saying, what, if they don't laugh, you're going to shoot yourself? Is that the new act, you know? This, I believe, plants the seed in his mind for what he eventually plans to do on TV. He tells them to ask Randall about the gun before doing an improvised bit by Joaquin Phoenix where he says, oh, forgot to punch out and literally punches the time card clock off the wall, which was not a scripted gag. And he just punched that thing until it came off the wall. (laughs) On the way out, he defaces a sign that says, don't forget to smile that now reads, don't smile. Thomas Wayne goes on the news to denounce the subway killings, saying that the clown mask is no surprise because people like myself who have made something of our lives will always look down on you peasants as clowns, the, <laughs> he, the clowns that you are.
2: He's maybe the most unsubtle part of this movie. If like, Especially if he's supposed to be Bruce Wayne's dad, this version of him is...
0: It's a real dick. I yeah. regret that we... Because last time we read Joker, in the sequel, Damned, we do get a smug bastard of a Thomas Wayne Uh as well. That's really the only other version I can think of that acts like this. I thought one of
2: them... I don't really like it. Like uh, imposter or something, when he talks about how shitty his dad was, or cold, or something like that. Oh, maybe. When he's talking to Leslie in therapy. It's rare, though,
0: that we get this kind of a a Thomas Wayne. It's certainly not my preference, but it works
2: in this story. It's usually more of like he's like a giving philanthropist, doctor, thoughtful. Yeah, He was like the model of... Selflessness and Mm -hmm. helping people, not hurting people. Yeah, and he's he's, he's kind of
0: retaining those elements of Thomas is sort of what keeps Batman's you know moral code in place, so he doesn't become Azrael or something. Yeah,
1: and I think it makes their deaths that much more traumatic because they were really positive parts of his life. Yeah, not that you wouldn't be bummed (laughs) if your dad (laughs) was killed, but
2: if he was, he was not. But the nicest guy. Yeah,
1: (laughs) you know what. Maybe he deserved it. You get uh, what you fucking deserve, yeah, Dad. Yeah. If he was a dickhead, I don't think that it would be such a big deal.
0: At therapy, this is the famous "All I Have Are Negative Thoughts" scene, and Arthur muses that he heard a song said, "My name is Carnival," and that's my stage name. Says that he never knew until just now if he even really existed. But I do. And people are starting to notice. And she keeps talking, ignoring him entirely, saying, look, the city has cut the mental health program. I'm out of a job. They don't give a shit about you. They don't give a shit about me. Are you
2: even listening to me?
0: Yeah. Mm. He's like, I had a breakthrough. And she's like, I will never see you again. <laughs> he asks, well, where am I going to get my medication now? And she just kind of fucking shrugs it off like, dude, where am I going to get a fucking job? Like, we're, we're both
2: fucked here. They don't care about you. They don't care about me.
0: Yeah. So speaking of the Reagan era,
2: like destroying all of the sanitariums or whatever you call them.
0: And to be that, fair, that, that was a
2: reaction because they were hellholes. But like, I don't know if emptying everybody out into the streets with no support. Exactly. Was the right. Yeah, there wasn't yes. an alternative. Yeah. Yeah. Back at the comedy club,
0: Arthur takes the stage for the first time, as far as we're aware. He gives the host an awkward script to read as his introduction, much like what he said in the imagined Murray Franklin appearance that like, my mother said I was here to spread joy and laughter. And he's like, okay, buddy. Anyway, uh, (laughs) here's the fucking guy. Arthur is so nervous that he's practically choking on his laughter and can't even get a word out. When he finally speaks, it's like the worst in terms of comedy. It's the worst bomb a comedian has ever had.
2: And despite his failure, Sophie watches adoringly from a table in the back no because before that as the scene goes on the music kind of swells up and then you start to hear audience laughter like oh know. that's
0: a great point yeah because it's a like great he, point you because you don't hear what he's saying but you do start to hear some reactions and then you see her face so again that's a twist in reality yeah that's not, great and they're yeah hmm. oh i guess it's
2: working because yeah, I, I think the first time i watched it i did have that thought of like oh maybe they actually are Maybe something is starting to work, or something, and they're laughing.
1: That's funny. Yeah, at the very least, maybe they're just laughing at. Good him. point. Was, yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't you know, think about that either.
0: You know, what's funny is in the King of Comedy, I mentioned about halfway through. I was like, it's so weird. His whole thing is like, no, I got, I got good material. I'm a comic. I can do it. You know, and he's badgering everyone at this show trying to get on. You know, their Tonight Show thing. And I was like, it's weird that we've never heard his material. Hmm. They haven't showed us a page from his journal or anything we've never seen him perform they keep telling him like yeah the tape that you sent in it was actually pretty good you know just like try it out on stage we want to see you on stage we'll send somebody out and i was like we never see him do it that's a nice choice yeah that's but what's funny is in the finale we do see him do the act and it's pretty funny uh-huh. it's like wow this guy was actually not bad and i'm like i don't know if i like that choice that you're kind of justifying this guy's mm. actions
3: a little well, bit.
2: Oh n- uh, No, but I mean, the idea is cause you're no- just because you're good doesn't mean you deserve it without knowing anything about that movie. Yeah. Just the idea of like that doesn't... It's not like, I'm fucking good. Give me my shot, it, it doesn't deserve... <laughs> yeah,
0: it-, it doesn't necessarily justify his
2: actions, but it does make him right. Uh, if you just give me a chance, I'll show you this. is Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah.
0: On the walk home, he sees the newspaper headlines about a killer clown on the loose. Sophie over his shoulder says, three less assholes in Gotham City. Fuck them. And they go to a diner and have a laugh. In between, we see an important shot where a taxi slowly passes by. There's a passenger in the back with a clown mask. He locks eyes with Arthur, who looks very proud to see his influence out there
2: in the world. One of the cool things about that scene that you guys probably didn't notice is that yes. the driver is an AI digital young Robert De Niro. It's only there for a split second, but it's like a.
0: Are you fucking with me right yeah, now? Yeah, okay. yeah I'm like what?
2: I'm like that? Just nice like a, work, you just, eagle Just you see eyes. it in the mirror. It's really quick. And then,
0: Travis, yeah.
3: this
2: is a guy with a fucking Mohawk. AI digital Carrie Fisher's in the passenger seat. There, so, yeah. <laughs> Peter Cushing's walking by. <laughs> Evan, that deserved a bigger laugh. Come on.
1: The way that you just like had he yeah, had the little like squeal. The throat whistle. Yeah, yeah. yeah that made me made me think of uh Nedry in Jurassic Park. He hits he hits those places.
0: Yeah, yeah. Arthur and his mom watch Murray Franklin on TV and he whisks her up for a dance to the closing theme song. Afterward, he finds a returned letter that his mother wrote to Thomas Wayne stating that he is Arthur's father and they need support. Through her locked door, Arthur demands answers. She said that he was very powerful and made her keep it all a secret. Arthur goes clowning around at the gate at Wayne Manor, luring a young Bruce to watch his magic tricks. He gets closer and Arthur puts his thumbs in Bruce's mouth to force the smile like he did to himself in the mirror in the opening scene.
1: Nothing weird about that.
0: Nothing at all. (laughs) Alfred confronts him and calls his mother, Penny, delusional, even laughing in his face at the idea that Thomas Wayne could be his father. Arthur chokes Alfred through the gate before letting go and running off into the distance.
2: That actor actor who plays Alfred, that actor who plays Alfred, (laughs) he's great. There's... He's, I think he's been in a ton of things, but I saw him in uh, the Amazon show Catastrophe. Oh, that's a great show. Which is a great show. And he, he has some like really, really great lines. He's kind of an asshole who dates one of the characters after they divorce. Mm-hmm. But he's really, really funny. And they go to like a bar and he's... So he dates Sharon Horgan's character on that show? No, he dates um, the woman who was in Extras, the Scottish woman. Okay, I haven't seen her in a while. Never mind. Well, she, the, I'm
0: leading us way off yeah, in the yeah, weeds he, here. He's <laughs> just really good in that, a very
2: unique character. And he's also in The Great. He plays like the... Head general of the Russian army and he's just a complete asshole, but kind of charming. Hmm. Not asshole like that guy's an asshole. He's like a mess of a person, but but he's not like a
0: a warm, witty Alfred. He's very much like well, I mean, we've never seen Alfred introduced by addressing a fucking threat to the child. So Yeah,
1: Yeah, or even like a young, stocky version of him. Yeah. I mean, in my head, Alfred is just forever an old person, and
2: like <laughs> wise and kind. No, this is the this yeah. is the right Alfred for this Thomas. Uh, Wayne. Yeah, I
1: assumed that. Well, yeah, because if Bruce is young. His, uh,
2: that's
0: true. They're gonna him. you know age together. So by the yeah. time he's Batman, Alfred, this Alfred would then be he's an older old man. man. Outside the apartment, Penny is being loaded into an ambulance, and Arthur rides along. The cops question him outside, saying. They came looking for you about the subway killings. But his mom, they say, went hysterical. And after our Gotham by Gaslight episode, I actually did look up the origin of that phrase. And it's exactly as you said. I did not know that was a sexist term. Most medical things are sexist <laughs>
3: <laughs> or
2: ableist or or, you know, something like, like that. I'm sorry, man, but can your
0: husband explain your symptoms, please? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody get
2: this woman some Valium or some Laudanum. <laughs> Let's drug her up so I can talk to a real man. <laughs> I like this scene because this is the first, like, moment where in his response to them, he's totally confident and, like, kind of pushes back against them. This movie up to this point, he's never been, like, that yeah, he did shoot three people, but even that was, like, a moment of, like, reaction terror. and terror. Yeah. yeah, where this is, like... I don't remember what he says. Well, he
0: kind of blows him off, yeah, because they, they ask him about getting fired for bringing a gun to the children's hospital. And he's like, you know, it's a prop. It's part of my act, whatever. And He's like, did you do something to my mom? What do you mean? I, uh... Did you
3: fuck my mom, Santa Claus? Did you fuck my mom?
0: Did you do this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's like, oh, wait, so you came? He's like, yeah, we started asking her questions, and she fucking... They said she had a stroke or whatever. And it is very interesting where he accuses them of causing it when in reality it's the things he's
2: done. Well, so strokes are a physical thing.
0: Well, I know, but like, (laughs) but if there's any reason for them being there, it's because of the things he's done.
1: I think the random times that he stands up for himself or speaks with confidence are interesting. Like his last time in the, I don't know, shared clown space before punching that yeah (laughs) is that is it the same it's the
2: clown depot yeah yeah (laughs) where they get their assignments
1: (laughs) (laughs) with his whole like i don't know why don't you ask randall thing he has these moments where he's not i'm not eloquent but he's pushing back a little yeah but he's not standing up for himself yeah he's not stuttering stuttering and stuff or when he's at the hospital talking to the cops outside that's not the dude that you would expect to stand his ground with the cops. So these random times that he
2: stands up for himself are are interesting to me. But then we get the funny end where he's walking in the exit. I love this because it's the perfect
0: setup where they're like, what about this? Is this part of your act too? You know, whatever they were talking about. And he goes, what do you think? And then immediately walks into a fucking glass door. And yeah, I think that is
1: one of the few genuine laughs in the movie
2: mm. like of an i actual he killed those people
0: was cool. right yeah
1: hilarious flicks his cigarette like a badass and then walks into a window <laughs> yeah anyway it so, has the feel of the hey
0: guys oh big golf, huh all right well see you later
1: <laughs> yeah what? see you later what <laughs> i i just think that like dude just can't win yeah. He, like yeah. even even like he just has a moment where he stands up to the cops and a bit in his head he's like Mike I dropped. just told those motherfuckers and then immediately walks into something. <laughs> like did like, did dude, dude, dude just
0: can't stay on top. That actually yeah, that could have been a, a Jim Carrey moment too. Like it's not a comedy by any means, but that was one of the few moments where it has kind of a silly laugh. Inside, he and Sophie watch over his sleeping mother in her hospital bed. Murray comes on TV, and Arthur is shocked to see his own footage in Murray's monologue. This time, though, there's no laughter. He's delighted at first, but Murray starts making fun of him, and Arthur's eyes go cold. I really like, when I was growing up, I'd tell people I wanted to be a comedian, and they would laugh at me, well, no one's laughing now, and then dead silence from the crowd and you know Murray's like you could say that again pal and that's Mm. like
2: the the super low-hanging fruit punching down sticky yeah yeah yeah. I bet you Murray was a great stand-up comedian before he got that show and then are you talking about Jay Leno now or or just any any, (laughs) anyone who (laughs) hosts the show I mean hey if
0: you had to crank out 90 minutes of material every day our podcast comes out twice a month if we're lucky. <laughs> so, yeah.
2: I mean, to do that every day to pretend like you're you going to lower the bar, buddy. these celebrities you're talking to. Maybe yeah. like one out of every 12, you're like, that guy's actually kind of interesting. What a neat conversation we had.
0: What I like about a guy like Conan O'Brien is that he's been able to sustain a 30-year career without doing that. I remember when they had that documentary about Britney Spears and like, there'd be a montage of all the people making fun of her and talking shit and, or I mentioned uh, I, Tanya earlier, you know, the Tonya Harding thing. You never see a clip of Conan O'Brien in those. He never did it. Uh-huh.
2: He's always taken the high road. Mm. He's not about making fun of people, but it's not that kind of material. Yeah, but it's material. not like, you know,
0: they're in the news, something terrible happened to them or something, and he's like, a <laughs> dumbass, you know.
1: Yeah, this is a prime opportunity. Knock them down a bag.
0: Later, we see a whole crowd of clowns outside uh, an opera, I think, protesting Thomas Wayne and basically the whole 1%.
2: It's the Charlie Chaplin movie they're all watching. Was it an actual film? Yeah, it was Modern yeah. Oh, okay. I was thinking mm-hmm. it was a performance. Which, if I knew what that movie was about, this is where I could go, what a great choice of movies that would be watching. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Definitely yeah. fits the themes of this movie. Silent Easter eggs. They do show that one shot, which is used as like a great, look at how cool these effects were. It's when... Charlie Chaplin is like roller skating by the edge of some sheer drop. Mm. And that was actually like a matte painting close Uh-oh. to the camera in perspective. And nice. he's just next to a mat, but it looks like he's mm. going next to that, an edge of a cliff kind of thing. That's cool. Arthur, sans makeup, takes advantage of
0: this commotion and sneaks past the chaos into a side door. Dressed as an
2: usher, he follows Thomas Wayne into the bathroom for a confrontation. Also, him dressed as the usher is a very like joker feeling looking
1: moment yeah yeah. (laughs) just in some very scenario
2: specific (laughs)
0: disguise this is my only disappointment whenever i watched this film i knew because they fucking announce everything before movies are made alec baldwin was cast as that part Oh, that would have been really good. I know. He's like the perfect prick when he wants to be.
2: That's who I am, and you're nothing.
0: Can you imagine an older Alec Baldwin doing his Glengarry Glen Gary, Glenn Ross asshole bit in this scene? Like, oh, my God, I wish those words were coming out of his mouth. That's the only thing that, that... I'll do some AI research. I bet you I can get which <laughs> Yeah, yeah make, <laughs> yeah. make that happen. Yeah. Um, this guy, though, Brett Cullen, also played the congressman that was kidnapped
2: by Selena in Dark Knight Rises. Well, so that always so is got weird because he's in connection. that movie with Matthew Modine, and I'm like, oh. these guys are almost the same person. That's weird. <laughs> but, but both of them in your movie. <laughs> it was one of those where he dropped out for scheduling
0: conflicts, and around the same time, I think it was 2018... He was in Edward Norton's like written, directed, starring film, Motherless Brooklyn, which is a very good movie. Baldwin or this guy? Baldwin. Mm. I'm wondering if that's why he had to drop out. But yeah, it's like Edward Norton, Bruce Willis, Bobby Cannavale, is that how you say his name? Mm. Um, yeah. Also in Borderwick Empire. Great yeah. cast. And not to give anything away, but his role in the story has like a similar beat to this moment which oh. is interesting to me that he's like oh no i went up having to do this other movie but kind of two birds you know like <laughs> what's my name <laughs> fuck you that's my name yes <laughs> yes uh, you he's... see this watch you see this <laughs> watch <laughs> all right thomas says that penny adopted arthur before she was committed at arkham as arthur loses his composure thomas a much larger man punches him square in the face and says on his way out, if you touch my son again, I'll fucking kill you. This next part, I believe, is the most important point in the film as I believe there's sort of a fork in the road here. Wherever your interpretations are, this is one of the moments where you could argue different things. That night, Arthur's phone is ringing off the hook the cops are still trying to find him as he rips apart his fridge before climbing in and closing himself inside. This moment is never explained, but I believe symbolizes either figuratively or literally the death of Arthur Fleck. When the phone rings the next morning, his dream comes true. It's the Murray Franklin show asking for Arthur. He hesitates as if he's so shocked to hear this that he's forgotten his own name. When they ask, they say, hey, this is so-and-so at the Murray Franklin Show. Is this Arthur? He doesn't even know to say yes. They book him to appear on next week's show. Arthur goes to Arthur... To Arthur Asylum. Arthur goes to Arthur. You fucking idiot. Uh, This is why we're ending the show. (laughs) um, Arthur goes to Arkham Asylum to find the records on his mother's history. This is a great cameo by Brian Tyree Henry, who I loved in the movie Widows. He's just great. He's also in Atlanta. Nice. He's a main character. Arthur practically admits to murdering some people, and it gets even more tense when the clerk reads her diagnosis to him out loud. He's like, this was your mom? Because
2: it's talking about, like, child abuse and all this shit, you know. Well, there's even another moment where he says something about, like, I just did some really bad shit. and Well, yeah, he basically confesses to what he did, and he's like, how do you get in here, by the way? I don't really feel that bad about it. And that's when he kind of looks at him, and he's like, you know, I'm just like a clerk. I can't. Yeah, you should come back. Yeah, You should see someone. (laughs) And he's like, oh, that's the thing. They canceled all of that. Yeah. Arthur
0: reaches through and steals the folder, running to the staircase to read it. And I've always loved this shot as they're talking to each other through the diamond great uh, metal there because the way that it frames his eyes is like the Bruce Tim Mark Hamill Joker who has those dark triangles under Mm -hmm. his eyes. I always thought it looked kind of like that. As Arthur reads the medical history, we flash back to Penny being committed at Arkham for neglecting her adopted son around an abusive boyfriend. Her son was found bruised, malnourished, and tied to a radiator. This could explain the head trauma written on the back of his little card that he hands out. Like, I have a condition, can be caused by X, Y, and Z. She says, I never heard him cry, though. He was always such a happy child, right? And so we're sort of getting a couple things here. Like, one, this lady is also not of sound mind, and we can't necessarily trust what she says. Also, that he came from this fucked up background. But also, it neither really confirms or disproves Thomas Wayne's adoption theory because she was earlier like he's a very powerful man. He said we had to keep it secret, right? And so he's the one who first tells us you're adopted. And we see it here, knowing he's so powerful and connected, he could have also manipulated this. So like. You know, it could have been like, oh shit, she's having my baby. She's going to try to whatever. Fucking throw her in the cage. Yeah. You
2: know,
0: know, so it's,
2: yeah. And it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be like wild for someone who is messed up in the head, who adopts a child and then like brings that about in them physically with violence or whatever. But also it's like, oh, maybe this is some kind of like inherited mental illness, mental issues. Sure. Her own delusional thing. Because that's the biggest thing for me with that was like the... If she has some kind of delusional idea about her relationship with Thomas Wayne and all this other stuff, and Arthur has the same fixations on Murray Franklin and yeah. Thomas, mm-hmm. and, yeah. yeah, disconnections from reality. So that would, like that would support the idea that he was not adopted. He is her actual child. Yeah. And then how does that connect to the rest of it?
1: Yeah. Uh, so the adoption papers are mm. what falsified or what?
2: Yeah, that's like what potentially. It would be. Or, or like yeah. you know, he was she did adopt him, but. She he was already her kid, but they he made it. Thomas Wayne uh used his power to make it seem like she adopted him. Like, okay, well, you're gonna have to go through this process. We're gonna say he was abandoned you adopted him. He doesn't have a father, that gotcha. kind of thing.
0: And this is the stuff that's why I really wanted to do do this film on the show because you're about to tell me I'm so, adopted. Yes. There are so many things that relate to our situation and our relationship. <laughs> no. There are so many points in the movie where it, on the surface, answers your question. But then if you watch it again, you're like, well, wait, but it doesn't, because there's enough doubt. There's always enough doubt mm-hmm. that it could be taken one of two ways. And that's kind of why I said, like, there's sort of a demarcation line right here where things are really open to interpretation
2: from we, here to the we end. We see him crawling into the fridge, and then he wakes up on the bed which is not like you couldn't have got out of the fridge and went to the bed, but that we explicitly, that's how this scene ends and that's how this scene starts.
0: Yes. And yeah, there's so many things from here on in. Arthur walks home in the rain and goes to see Sophie. When she finds him sitting on her couch, she is shocked and afraid, asking if he's the guy who lives down the hall. Like Arthur, right? And he says, I had a bad day. Wink, nudge, you know. And she asks him to leave, saying that her little girl is asleep in the next room. Dark night. (laughs) (laughs) He turns to lock eyes with her, deadly serious, and repeats the gun to the head motion from earlier. We cut back to all the times they spent together and see that he was actually alone. All of it. I really like that they gave us this. For so many
2: things that aren't spelled out, we need to know this. Mm-hmm. That makes me appreciate, because that, that is a little, I don't think it's bad.
0: It's not like they saved it for the end and they're showing you everything was made up. It's at one point
2: they give you a little bit. Yeah, and, and that that makes that, all that other stuff... That I never really thought about until hearing you talk about it, the idea of how much of any of this is real. Mm-hmm. So you it is nice and important to have this one very obvious, very big example of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause then when you look at the rest of it, you cast those same doubts. Which like yes. I said, I didn't really appreciate until hearing you say, like, oh yeah, what what of any of this totally. right is real? And th-
1: there goes his It's like the only person, even if it was imaginary that had his back, yeah, or like cared, cared about him, him or, or saw something, him caring, and, yeah. So yeah. It, it turns out that I mean, you can argue how much your mom even cares for you. She seems to be pretty hey, preoccupied with some, uh, yeah,
2: sorry <laughs> about your mom. She doesn't, yeah, like nah, you.
1: yeah, yeah. yeah we, <laughs> nobody, we nobody, yeah, nobody <laughs> argues that, but now it's he just has nobody, yeah,
0: yeah. Ambiguously, the scene ends with him alone in the hallway, walking back to his apartment. We have that terribly uncomfortable beat between them where he's staring at her, just fucking like eyes through her soul, and puts, you know, the fake gun to his head with his fingers. And then he's just walking down the hallway, and we never see her again. And to me, it's perfectly reasonable to read anything into this scene based on what we've seen that he got the point. He got kicked out or that she was his next victim. And Todd Phillips has said that he thought that that was insane that people thought that he could have killed her and that there was actually a shot later in the film of her seeing what's happening on TV at the climax of the film. And so she's definitely alive and I believe she's cast in the sequel. So, Mm. um, I never that got that, that either but, time I watched it. Yeah.
2: That like he would have killed her, but I, I could I see mean, it. I mean,
0: I just, it was so ominous the way he was staring
2: at her. And, you know, then we're The next scene is the this, cops at his apartment going, why did you, why were you just in this woman's house?
0: <laughs> well, but then we, we get this sort of moment where we're realizing none of those things were real. Is the character having this reckoning as well? You know, we don't necessarily know that. And mm. he's coming off of a horrible, Experience so
1: yeah. I wonder what he's thinking. Well, she's just having an off day, (laughs) you know. Like this isn't standard behavior for you. That you must just be having a weird day, or um, is he also thinking like she doesn't even she doesn't recognize me? Yeah, you know, like is is he doubting himself in this moment? Because he doesn't say anything about that. He's he's yeah, not like He has almost no dialogue. It's, it's me, Arthur. Yeah. You know There's no super obvious that. Yeah, 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 but what about the diner and the hospital and,
2: you know. Remember when you said it was cool that those three guys were killed? Yeah. yeah. You don't remember that? Yeah.
1: And also he does let uh when the two guys come later on and he <laughs> and he kills the big guy, he does let the other guy go. So I think that he holds some kind of place for people that he Thinks have been kind to him. Yes, even if she hadn't actually been kind to him, <laughs> she, <laughs> she, she did talk to him. Yeah, she yeah. hadn't been mean. She, she acknowledged she his existence, yeah. which is a lot for him. And even if it's imaginary, she has been like a positive symbol to him. So I, uh, I don't know why he would kill her. Well, the next
0: day he visits his mother in the hospital, and. He's like, all those years you told me there was something wrong with me and I have this condition and you know what? This is just who I really am. And it's starting to sound like a lot of people we've seen over the years who are off their meds and now I'm seeing things
2: differently and, you know. I mean, they have a point in the sense of like, I guess you would be this way naturally, but natural isn't good. Yeah. It's all like random bullshit, so. Sure, Mm -hmm. yeah. (laughs) This is the way I'm supposed to be. Uh, (laughs) As he takes the
0: pillow from behind her head... I was meant for polio. <laughs> as he takes the pillow from behind her head, Arthur says, I used to think that my life was a tragedy, but now I realize that it's a fucking comedy, and the camera pulls close on his face as Penny is smothered in silence. I gotta say, when I was rewatching The Sopranos a couple years ago, and... Tony is visiting his mother in the hospital after having a very, very, very contentious relationship. I was like, oh my God, this is the part where he fucking smothers her or whatever. And then he doesn't do it. He like walks out pissed off. And I'm like, what am I thinking of? And it was (laughs) this. (laughs) Uh.
2: (laughs) Yeah, man, that is a fucking intense moment, dude. (laughs) The the idea that he doesn't really show much of a reaction in this scene either is like, again, is that the reality of him and their relationship that like doing this was nothing. Not, not literally nothing but like he's just like...
0: Yeah, yeah. He's emotionless about yeah, it. You know? Yeah. No, it's a fucking comedy. You
2: know, like... Let me go put my makeup on.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that we're in some way seeing a guy who in the first half of the movie he feels a lot and he feels deeply and he feels a lot of pain. And as his transformation completes, um, and there's obviously a lot of emotion in the, the climax of the film, but I think there's also a sort of separation happening where he's, he's going a bit numb, he's going a bit dead inside, and he's kind of, he's kind of freeing himself from those things that caused him pain before by, by not caring anymore. Sure, mm-hmm. you know. At the apartment, Arthur plays a tape of the Murray Franklin show and practices his entrance as well as the dialogue before delivering a knock-knock joke that ends with him shooting himself on air. Again, this is pretend in his apartment. He has killed his mom at this point, and now we see intends to kill himself. My autocorrect says mill himself. Cool.
2: I'd pay to see that. (laughs)
0: What? To personify... This transformation, the next Joker dance, occurs in a makeover montage with makeup and green hair dye. I will note that you cannot color dark hair like that without bleaching at first. As he puts on his makeup, Arthur looks at an old photo of his mother. On the back, it says, love your smile, T.W. Hmm. Again giving some credibility to his delusional mother that there was something with Thomas Wayne at one point. The scene is interrupted when Arthur's doorbell rings. He grabs a pair of scissors, but it's just Gary and Randall from work. They see the makeup and ask if he got a new job. Well, no. Are you going down to the protest? No. I just stopped taking my medication. I feel a lot better now.
1: That's
2: like the, what you'd never want to hear from yeah, a friend know. or something. Well, cool, like I got to yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh. yeah
1: his, all of his responses in this part are very weird. Giant red flags. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, just hardly even grounded in the scenario. Like, like we're the, sorry to hear your mom die. He's like, yeah, whatever. So anyway. I, yeah, got, I, got, yeah. I got that gig. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, it, It's my big break. Yeah, all of his answers don't even seem to be related to, like none of the stuff is just landing and he's just saying whatever he wants to say.
0: Yeah, yeah. Randall starts talking about the cops sniffing around, and he wants Arthur to clear his name. But Arthur stabs him in the face with those scissors, and this scene is one of the most realistic and disturbing movie deaths that I've ever seen, as Gary, the other character, is crying in the corner, pleading for him to stop, and it's like, you know, the scissors get like stuck in his head and he's beating him against the wall yeah. to try to get them back out of his head. And and there's blood spraying everywhere. And my wife turns to me uh, as I'm watching this again on Friday and says, I just fucking hate this movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean,
2: it it is every time I've seen this, this part is horrific. And- I am too desensitized, I guess, because it was like. I've I've seen plenty of movies where the violence did upset me and this. I was just like, no, oh, whatever.
0: Wow. That's yeah. I've I've told some people like horror movies are generally too much for me and shit that's like really gnarly, but especially when it's realistic. You know, I can watch fucking diehard movies and not think anything of it. But like the, st- stuff
2: like this is the, really I troubling. I mean the it's scissors too, in the eye was too real. like mm-hmm. a little bit of a kind yeah, of but the, physical response. And
0: then the Bashing into the fucking wall yeah. while the
2: blood yeah. splattering and he's Oh god. Yeah. It's just it's But as you described that that just makes me think of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and I'm like laughing. So what without oh, spoiling the, the movie, end of that movie? Maybe. Who knows? If you haven't seen the movie, you should watch it. It's pretty good.
0: <laughs> that is a movie that I will always forget because it's such a small part of that movie. You know, two hours of that movie are completely nonviolent. I yep. think, aside from maybe the Bruce Lee fight, <laughs> and, um, and that's pretty silly. And so I will think of that movie and want to watch it. And every time I get to the end, I'm like,
2: Jesus fucking Christ! Oh, I did not I remember. I mean, we, we were how gnarly this movie, gets. I watched that in the theater twice, and I was laughing in that scene because it's so ridiculous. Both in the sense of like, I hate these people in real life. The Manson, they're such fucking yeah garbage people. So this this fun alternate reality where they didn't murder a whole bunch of people is like a release but also that violence again is so ridiculous like it's clearly a dummy being tossed around it's just the i don't know it's just incredibly silly to me
0: Mm -hmm.
2: where this is not that but the repeated like head slamming just makes me think of that or hateful eight is the same thing two hours slow burn that
0: one i've only seen once i think i mostly just remember uh kurt russell smashing the
2: real (laughs) historic martin guitar forty thousand, thousand dollar guitar Yeah. I think Hateful 8 is one where like I saw old people get out and walk up after they sat through this movie for two hours. Then, <laughs> <getting> <laughs> They're like, I, I, I haven't oh, seen that. You're turning me into this. Jesus Christ. Without spoiling it, it's like once upon a time in Hollywood. I also very, haven't seen that. A very long oh, You really? haven't seen that either? Uh-uh. Oh, those are both good movies. You're a strange person, Evan. That's true. <laughs> long <laughs> dramas with like fun, tense dialogue, interesting dialogue, interesting characters that explode in violence in the last moment.
0: Mm. I would say that. Hateful Eight, to my memory anyway, was more of a, you know, typically slow Western versus Hollywood is much more like a a snappy dialogue, like bright-colored Tarantino kind of movie to like, me. Like Ocean's
1: it, Eleven. No, it's not like that.
2: I mean. They're not whip smart. No, I mean, it's, it's, so, it up. it's
1: so different.
0: They're both so different than but anything I think once else he's time Hollywood
2: feels kind of western because the Brad Pitt character is like, the classic real man broken and violent and tough guy and all this kind of shit. Well, anyway, uh we can go on for a while about That's that. That's what we're talking about today, right? Right, yes.
0: <clears throat> the recent works of Tarantino. <laughs> now, blood covers the wall and Arthur's white painted face, which, you know, they interrupted mid-makeup, and he even jump scares Gary as he walks past the body
2: to get out. No, I'm just
0: kidding. Go ahead. You can leave. <laughs> The only thing funny about this scene is really dark, but the fact that Gary cannot reach the lock to get out. He has to ask Arthur for help. Oh shit. Oh God. Arthur. Yeah. It's part of scary. Yeah. And so he goes and he unlocks the door, but then he stands in front of it and says, You're the only one who was ever nice to me. And he like kisses him on the forehead Mm. and opens the door. And yeah, Jesus Christ, man. The, the that proximity
1: seemed... of all of that is like super tense. Oh, yeah. The fact that he is so unpredictable. You have a good reason to think that he might also hurt you. And that's yeah. super yeah. scary. Cause now you're going to, the other guy got like a surprise attack. You're going to be like an audience member and watch this stuff happen. If he, yeah. if yeah. he comes after you or something. And it's like playing resident evil games or something where the, tension is just it's not for no reason but they don't have to do anything anymore in order to make it like scary. Well and that's like, where the scare
2: is. The scare is not when you're fighting the monster. Yeah. Not for the, the scares when you're worried about it about to happen. Yeah it's like an alien totally. or yeah. something. Yeah. The, the where f- is
1: it? Yeah, yeah he's, he, he's got uh, like walk around this there's like a huge dead man and then Arthur. And the murderer. Yeah. yeah uh, blocking a hallway. This the only escape route. <laughs> and he is like so disconnected that he thinks it's funny to make a joke He's like, to hey, scare you. Do you watch the Murray Franklin show? Yeah. You're you want to see me terrified. on there tonight. Yeah.
2: You
0: know? uh, and then yeah, pretends to scare him and all that. Like yeah. or pretends to attack him. That whole thing is so fucked. And I think that a lot of the speculation about this movie I'm like, oh man, this is gonna it's gonna glorify the Joker's violence and all this stuff. And I'm like if you watch any of this and think this is cool, like th- <laughs> you were already like that. You know, this yeah, guy yeah.
2: needs. This guy needs a sweet dragon back tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> maybe a little more screen time saying cool things. <laughs>
0: but I, I do th- think that part of the reason I, I don't think that it's like in any way irresponsible is that like I also after watching uh, you know King of Comedy and Taxi Driver, I had some recent 4K movies that I hadn't got around to, and so I also watched some more gangster movies, and I think that Goodfellas, for example, even though all of its characters end up meeting a terrible demise and their lives fall apart because of their choices and all these things, I think that movie tries much harder to make these things look cool and make these guys look really aspirational in a way that this film does not. Yeah, For all the things that it doesn't give you Straight up, the violence is always
1: horrific. real and mm-hmm. horrific. Yeah, and never not, sugarcoated. It's not a Quentin
0: Tarantino movie. It's not exactly anything like that. And that is one thing I really appreciate about it: is that when you see violence in film, it should be this disturbing.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, if, if it's trying to make any kind of statement. I mean, that's why I, that's part of why I like Quentin Tarantino movies, because I heard it described the other day: they are basically cartoons for adults. Sure, they're just like nobody talks like that things don't play out like this, Mm. but that's okay because it's not real and that's the the escape of it and the novelty of seeing it. Yeah, the exaggeration
0: and movie references, you know, the pastiche of different styles, you know.
2: And so I think you could, like, a lot of movies, especially action movies, you could throw in that same boat of, like, this is not what violence is in real life. Violence is like, sucks. terrible and frightening and, like, scars people forever. Yeah. To me,
1: it's kind of funny to say that this is glorifying something when clearly nothing about this dude's life is enviable. (laughs) Yeah, like, if something's going to make somebody want to do something like that, why wouldn't you say that about John Wick or something where scores of people are killed and it looks awesome the whole time and he dresses well and there's a sweet soundtrack and stuff. Like, how is that Missing
2: the forest for the trees if you're going after this movie for that. Yeah. Yeah,
1: like, it seems like you're trying to deter people who are in a, like, bad headspace from doing stuff or something.
2: Well, the only thing I'll say that your point is so correct, that if you, if anyone, if you're a person who saw this and was like, yeah, yeah, that's right, Yeah, you, you already had something wrong with you. Yeah.
0: yeah, and I think that media in general, whether that's music, movies, video games, the things that we spend our time on and consuming, they do have – an impact on us but I don't believe they're just cold introducing these things to us yeah. I,
2: I believe that you're connecting to it already based on something that's happening in your life but so, a lot of times the, you know, the argument or the thought about this when we're talking about those kind of things is that like even if that's the case if we weren't giving these messed up people these messed up things to consume maybe there'd be less issues with them that's the argument or the worry for sure even though it's only them who are reacting poorly to it. And there are very few of them. Exactly. If they just weren't there, we wouldn't have to worry about it at all.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm very much like an anti censorship. You know, we grew up in the PMRC parental advisory era. You know, I've always been very much against that, but also being a very obsessive kind of person, I've, witnessed why maybe if you listen to the same fucking cd every day of your life maybe you don't want it to be that one or whatever you know whatever it is Mm -hmm. whatever you're going through is only amplified by the art that you consume but it doesn't start with the art and so Mm -hmm. i think that's kind of the misconception
2: then especially when this is a movie that for the most part like you're saying doesn't glorify this it doesn't make this look anything like desirable yeah but Mm -hmm. even with that i would say the line that comes up that we're about to see the one that i feel like i saw maybe even before I saw this movie, they're like the, what happens when you cross yeah. so long? Like that, that is the only point where I'm like, I could see people taking that the wrong way, which is a little bit of the point. That's the, I, you're supposed to in that moment be like, okay, I get it. I, like, I, I understand you, the character, mm. but I could see other people going like, yeah, that's why I suck. Because yeah. Society that's a reasonable reaction. And, yeah. I think. You were literally brain damaged. Like you, yeah. that's why you are so broken. And that's the whole idea of like, Everyone has something they can point to and be like, this happened to me. Society failed me. I'm broken, and that's why yeah. I hate you all. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I was going to say this, but one thing that's more apparent in King of Comedy and Taxi Driver is that we follow this mentally ill guy. We spend a lot of time with him throughout the course of the film, all the way up to this horrific thing that he does. And in the epilogue he's celebrated for it society embraces this guy and paints him as a hero because oh well you did it to this pimp and oh well you did it to these rich people who were mm. casting you out and you made something of yourself or you know whatever it is mm. it's sort of like people watch those movies and just miss the ending you know <laughs> they mm-hmm. just remember all the other things and like oh yeah and uh, you know i love travis bickle with the mohawk i think he looks awesome it's an iconic performance
2: everybody right? wishes they were tough and could get tough and like but stop taking shit from the man you know
0: yeah mm-hmm. but they show to what an unhealthy degree these people take those delusions and those fixations like all of these films they have a fixation on some outward person who's causing their situation and mm-hmm. you know would make it all better if whatever right And they all have this sort of thing. And once they act on it, in the end, there's some distortion of reality where it kind of becomes satire. And the guy's on the front of newspapers or he gets a book deal or whatever it is. And everyone loves him for this. And there's a a shade of that in the end. The riots in the streets and the, the clown protests throughout the movie and things like that. But I think it's more in the way that the Riddler had this weird cult following in the Batman you know Matt Reeves version and you have these people who are disenfranchised and they're upset and they're fighting back against this system and this corruption and all this stuff and they wind up joining this fucking cause right but I don't Mm. think that really casts judgment on what he does I think when it comes to his acts it tries to be more objective you, and yeah, it you. tries to show mm-hmm. you how disorienting and fucked up the scene is how they f- shoot it and all this shit and they
2: don't really cast judgments on it. Well, I don't feel like the movie casts all the rioters with the same negative light that the Batman clearly casts the Riddler cult or whatever. Well, there's that one shot on TV of like
0: yeah, fuck the rich, fuck the you know the whole system man burn it to the ground, you know, there's elements of that. But I also don't think the movie justifies his
2: actions in that. I think they show the reality of it and that a lot of people feel this way. But Yeah, and that people react to it, even though he says multiple times, like, I didn't do it for a reason. I didn't do any of this. Yeah, exactly. But, like, mm-hmm. but that makes sense. It was yeah. something that was going to happen anyway with their city, and it just needed some kind of spark to set it off, and people are going to find whatever meaning they want. And, mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Now we cut to that one song that was used for Happy Gilmore and every baseball game I've ever been to, Na, 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 na. Hey! <laughs> yeah. And a fully realized Joker exits the apartment building in his full marini Dark Prince charming look. And he has his first full Joker celebratory murder dance that we've seen in costume. <laughs> murder dance. And this time the cops find
2: him. And a chase ensues. They're just kind of like standing at the top of the stairs for yeah. part of the dance.
1: You <laughs> see this fucking guy? Like, <laughs> he's got good moves. He's pretty slick. Yeah. Well, let's wait till he hey, gets Arthur. through this. Yeah, really good dancer. Yeah,
2: yeah. One thing I didn't notice the first time, even though I've seen the scene in the trailer very early on, maybe after his first work experience where he's walking home, he's walking up those stairs, and it's like super arduous, like climb. Yeah, it's it's depressing, and he feels confined, and even though. This is also one of the first shots in the movie that, like, this is a beautiful movie. Oh just yeah. Like, yeah, the some colors, colors are, awesome. are awesome. Yeah, every what? shot is and some of those really shots nicely. that are like
0: outside at night in the dark, rain, and the little glimpses of neon from the storefronts. Like, oh my it god, looks great. it's like
1: a real cool color treatment. Yeah, kind of warm tones, but there's like some matrix greens. And yeah, and then little there's little also this, color. yeah, this just like
2: sunset glow. There was one scene in particular. It might have been when he gets in the fridge. That was really nice, and it had the very obvious thing. But which didn't feel obnoxious like it does sometimes. Where like everything is blue, and then the outside orange is light, uh-huh. or yeah. the outside light is orange. So that blue and orange contrast, which is like really good.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, this was nominated for uh, best cinematography, Lawrence Sure, and well deserved because talking about the color grading, we just watched The Killer, David Fincher. You know, we were talking about that earlier, and to me, I'm watching this, going like, I love the way David Fincher movies look, mm-hmm. but I'm like. This soaked in piss yellow thing is like too
2: much in this one. It's just, well, it's mm. over the top. I feel like that's what David Fincher, and I love his movies also, but that's what his movies are lacking is that like the contrasting color. So every scene or every shot is mainly just like the disgusting green and blue or whatever yeah, it ex- is.
1: blue, green, gray yeah, the whole time. Yeah, it doesn't have like
2: the light that's a, like, the, the exact opposite it. color or, right. or some mm. kind of clothing or something that really stands out, which is why David Fincher movies feel more bleak <laughs> than this does mm-hmm. to me i mean i think that
0: this was also taking influence from Seven. Oh yeah in terms of just the rainy decaying city yeah the city is the you know. enemy kind of yeah exactly and the whole thing just feels oppressive and kind of for as big as it is kind of claustrophobic and just mm. you know
2: you, like, you just can't get away from it you can't wipe it off you you know i just like that contrast of the first time he goes up the stairs he's going up yeah, and it's hard. It's the end of a bad day, and this is his transformation. Now it's like the easiest thing in the world to go down them. Uh, so easy, he's yeah. dancing light he's, as a feather. Yeah, yeah, no burden at all.
1: This uh, like borders on a Wes Anderson color palette. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, it's mid-century modern. It's and, there. Yeah. I thought at first that this might be the staircase from The Exorcist, but that ended up not being the case.
2: Mm. It's a okay. famous staircase where they had to ask people to stop. Coming here and Dancing, doing Dr. dance song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I live here. Please stop doing that. I actually just saw
0: cell phone footage the other day of Joaquin filming this scene from a first floor, I think, apartment building mm. through a foggy window right next to him at the top of the stairs as he's about to begin. It's like, funny. Yeah. Like you can kind of see him like waiting for the cue and they're like, okay, yeah. And then doing <laughs> this fucking thing. But, yeah, it would be so weird. Like, oh, yeah, they're just filming this iconic sequence. For the next five hours. (laughs) Outside my bedroom.
1: (laughs) It makes me think of uh, a Chappelle show uh, where they have this outtake thing and they're talking about Charlie Murphy, like, getting into character prior to – the take mm-hmm. and there's this i don't know they're on a golf cart or something like that and he's just like bouncing and jiggling his <laughs> shoulders <laughs> and <laughs> stuff <laughs> like that just you know six seconds oh, before it pimps, starts is that what it is uh yeah oh yeah, for yeah. player haters ball. yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and i could picture joaquin like same kind of thing he's like snapping his fingers or he's Through yeah he starts the dance the or <laughs> the something before the take starts
0: so in this chase sequence first arthur is hit by a taxi and then finds cover among the other clowns in a subway car. They're on their way to the protest and do not welcome the police presence as they chase him. Shea Wiggum is so good. What a yeah. great actor. That like, He's one of those guys I look up, I'm like, God, I know this guy, and I look up, and I'm like, oh, he's in half a dozen films I've rated 10 out of 10, yeah. Like, <laughs> always playing small parts. The
2: first, he'd been in stuff before that, but the first thing I noticed him in was he was in Boardwalk Empire. Which also, is Michael Shannon was in that, like that. I that think he was also in Take Shelter cool. with
0: Michael Shannon as yeah. well.
2: he was in something else I saw where, like, an earlier movie where he had a smaller part still. He's been working for a long time. I think yeah. he's one of those guys that just like hit a point where now everyone was like, this guy's awesome. It'd be a pleasure to have him act in our movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that whole, like, come on, no eyes are dumb. Come on. It ends up shooting that guy and then, like, mm-hmm. his pleading, screaming when the people start beating him, like, mm-hmm. don't do this, no, no, do it. No, no. yeah. yeah. That. Scene upset me. Joker. More than the apartment killing. For
0: Joker sure. here incites a fight and steals a clown's mask to put it on over his makeup, which, not unlike Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight mm-hmm. and his real life friend as well. I believe there's a few intentional nods to Heath in this third act. Uh, as you mentioned, the cop's gun goes off during this fight and Arthur joyfully dances and laughs as they are beaten nearly to death by this mob.
2: And that's another moment that's like very like how unhinged he is. And that's a genuine smile. That's a genuine mm. The smile but also the dancing of like he, just, he, he is so overcome by this moment he has to dance. He has to do this little movement yes. to release the energy of it. Well
0: mm. and the other thing is for someone who was just recently in their exact position getting beat by a gang of people twice mm. he is Taken all the wrong lessons from that experience. He's just like, I'm glad it's you and not me. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You're I, I'm glad you to be this. on the the side that's inflicting the pain now. Like I just watched the Hunger Games prequel, and I was very reticent about. So you're gonna make a prequel that focuses on the villain? You're like you're gonna make us root for this guy? You know? And they do, and they humanize him, and then the end, he kind of becomes the thing he's fighting against because we know where he ends up
2: it sounds like you're saying the movie is good but i i'm also like i don't think the villain always needs to be humanized you need enough to like connect but some villains can just be bad well
0: but that's the thing is he wasn't you
2: know he's a messy
0: conflicted person and we really do see the goodness in him at points in this film and so i'm like that's a weird choice To make us feel for him in these ways and then to have his ultimate conclusion be like, but I'm going to make them suffer like they made me suffer. You know, like I, Uh. it felt like a leap to make us feel all those things. And then he still turns into that guy, you know, like I need another movie or two to get to that point, you know, Mm -hmm. because Arthur is just like so miserable all the time. It makes sense. He's only seeing things from his perspective. Yeah. Mm. He's not... Can't get out of his own pain. Exactly. Yeah. Like, he's begging for empathy and unable to empathize with yeah. anyone who's not as fucked up as he is.
1: It's interesting in this part, too, that it shows some smarts on his part by grabbing the mask and blending in with the crowd mm. Yeah, that much more. You don't feel like he's dumb... But this actually shows like a degree of smartness to me. Yeah, Yeah, he's not just getting through and happens to wiggle his way through the crowd or something like that. He has the wherewithal to like, I'm evading the police and what could I do in this moment to blend in with the crowd and stuff like that.
0: And I think that there are people who have criticized this movie, like I alluded to, where it's like, oh, they just wanted to tell this story and to get it made, they just squeezed in. Thomas Wayne and Mm. the Wayne killings and called him Joker in the end or whatever. To me, there's so much connective
2: tissue to all that, that it's like a real oversimplification. Even though I fundamentally Mm -hmm. do not believe this is the version, this is a version of the character that would do anything.
0: Well, and that's kind of what I'm getting at though is that people were like, but he's not like the mastermind type and whatever. And I'm like, well, he's not, but that's
2: kind of the point. Is he doesn't become Joker till the fucking end of this movie. But, but my my uh, my thought is he he's never gonna be that character. This guy never becomes the guy who puts a cell phone in someone's stomach or, a, or like, <laughs> who orchestrates anything elaborate. But I do think it's in the same way that maybe when we were talking about Imposter or something where it sells me by the end. Like, this is an interesting and valid take on the idea of a character Mm -hmm. who is just purely chaotic and doesn't care about anything. Yeah. Even the idea that he's laughing all the time. Like, it's an interesting take on why he would be doing that. Mm -hmm. So that it's not... I don't know how this Joker does anything with or against Batman.
0: Jack Napier Mm -hmm. is not giggling around all the time. Like, he starts acting that way after the
2: Axis Chemicals thing. Yeah, but he was also like But to give
0: this guy the laugh ahead of time is so much more interesting.
2: Well, and it contextualizes the character in a way that's better than the Jack Nicholson one because the Jack Nicholson Joker is like just an asshole. But yeah. he's a guy you believe could actually put things together because oh, he's yeah. like the right-hand man of the biggest gang in the city.
0: And he's a guy who's kind of, you
2: know, in a power war to take the top. Yeah. yeah, And mm-hmm. also sociopath. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Doesn't care about other people. Where this one is like, you get the pain of it, how it would twist someone in that way. Yeah. And also mm-hmm. what, what it ultimately says about the idea where he's like, I'm not trying to do this for any reason. I just... I'm fed up, but I'm going to do whatever I want. Like yeah. That fits with the idea of the Joker.
0: Backstage at the studio, Joker meets Murray Franklin and his producer assistant guy, played by Mark Marin. They ask about his clown makeup. You're like, are you trying to make some kind of political statement here? And he plays dumb, not knowing about the cop killing on the subway or the protests or whatever. He reminds Murray, you called me a Joker when you mentioned me on the show. You know, Could you introduce me as Joker? And Murray kind of shrugs it off like, Joker, it is okay. And as they walk away, close the door. Joker
1: puts the gun to his head and prepares for his big moment. This is another one of those parts where he speaks pretty well, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah, he's very much in control, of, mm-hmm. like really in control for the first time.
0: Murray plays the clip of Arthur bombing at the comedy club And Joker begins to lose himself in a dance behind
2: the curtain. The production assistant is like, get a load of this guy.
0: I love that. Yeah, yeah. you get one dude standing there, like another guy is just kind of doing his work, getting ready. Mm. And then the other guy is like, what the fuck is happening (laughs) right here? He comes out on stage dancing and kissing the Dr.
2: Ruth character. And these are the best dance moves. He does like a double spin. I'm like That was yes. so smooth. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. This, Arthur, you're a great dancer. But the whole inclusion of
0: the Dr. Ruth surrogate and him kissing her is like Dark Knight Returns. Mm. And he's like, oh, this is exactly how I imagined it here and all this. I will say, though, with those Dark Knight Returns things, as I'm watching this the first
1: time,
2: it's like, wait a second. Is he going to kill the audience? Like the fucking, th- you know? This clearly incapable, mentally deficient man managed to concoct some uh, well, nothing, gas or bombs.
0: No, or but more like a mass shooter thing because that's what everyone was talking about uh-huh. at the time. Of Anyway, he fails to land even a single joke, laughs at all the wrong times, and Murray tries to save the show by making fun of him. You know, it's like... Well, why don't you tell us a joke? And he like pulls out the fucking notebook and it takes forever and he flips through the pages and he goes knock knock. <laughs> like, you needed to look that up, buddy, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. That I will say that joke. It's so fucked up, but like I laughed at that oh, joke. Oh, yeah, this
0: is the one one of the few uh, <laughs> great so, jokes in the movie. It's a
2: great anti-comedy,
0: anti-humor joke. Yeah, like after a dramatic pause, Joker says knock knock, which we know is his big setup for the suicide. Murray Cracks the joke, and he has to start over. So he goes, knock, knock. Murray goes, who's there? Joker says, it's the police. Your son was hit by a drunk driver. He's dead. (laughs) Oh, my
2: God. And he's
0: saying this like, oh, my God. I love this
2: joke. Everyone's going to laugh at it. It's like a joke Bob Saget would tell to other comedians or something. Okay, Uh, that
0: was exactly my note is that this is – Possibly the only good joke of the movie, but in a Norm MacDonald intentionally bombing sort of way. Yeah. Like, I'm going to take this way past the point. Of it's so ridiculous taste. and uncomfortable that that's where the that's laughter why comes from. Uh-huh. Yes. Now we're Arthur. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Murray says, That's not funny. It's not the kind of humor that we do on this show. And Joker we, says, we, pick, we make fun of mentally disabled people. Yeah. <laughs> Joker says, you know, it's just been a rough couple of weeks ever since I killed those three Wall Street guys. And this is where I'm so impressed with De Niro's portrayal of Murray Franklin because Murray steps up to the plate and he handles this very seriously. And I think back to you know, the times we've lived through where you're having David Letterman be one of the most lasting, memorable commentaries in the aftermath of 9-11. You know, on on American television, like Mm -hmm. you have these people who had to step up and handle this crazy moment. And he really does. And Joker rants that society decides what's right or wrong, and what's what's funny, funny. what's Mm -hmm. not. And that he killed those guys because everyone is awful these days, saying that if it was me dying on the street, you'd walk right over me. As the conversation gets more and more hostile, Joker starts mocking Murray to turn the tables, and he's sort of taking control of the conversation. And then he gets deadly serious with the best close up shot of the entire film. He's practically shaking with anger in his face, he's got tears in his eyes, and he says, People are awful. You're awful playing my video just to make fun of me. And then Murray lists off the victims and like, oh, you killed these people. Someone died today, blah, blah, blah. And Joker just laughs in his face at this. And he says, how about another joke, Murray? And what do you get when you cross a mentally ill loner with a society that abandons him and treats him like trash? And this is the first time we see him Escalating, he's yelling over Murray, he's trying to regain control of the conversation. Because the murder in the
2: apartment was like a reaction and almost a defensive thing. Yes. This yeah. is like this is an act of aggression.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. And prior to this, we think it's leading up to his suicide. But as that point in the conversation and that great close-up, you know, over the shoulder, the side profile, where I was talking about his him shaking and his eyes and some great like YouTube breakdowns of this scene and the way that it's the way that it's shot. They like break the full the the usual 180 camera pan rule and they go behind and they do these weird things to mm. throw you off and set you at unease and hmm. you can sort of see this transformation where, okay, that's when he changed his mind. Mm. That's mm-hmm. when now Murray is the target of... All of his frustration here
1: Yeah, the rage has kicked in
0: exactly and so what do you get when you cross a mentally ill owner with a society that abandons him and treats him like trash i'll tell you what you get you get what you fucking deserve and he shoots murray in the head the crowd runs screaming we cut wide to see the crowd running away joker briefly makes eye contact with the body and laughs to himself he kind of takes it in and this is a little bit like When Jack Nicholson talks to the corpse of the guy that he's fried a little bit, you know, then he stands up and shoots Murray again and grabs the camera looking straight into it again, like Heath Ledger in those scenes he directed in The Dark Knight, trying to say Murray's famous tagline. And remember,
2: that's life. But they cut it off in the middle. Well, there's a moment in that scene, too, where it's a. Feels like again, like his little dance while the cops are getting beat. Mm -hmm. Where like he stands up and like he doesn't know what to do, and he just has to have some kind of like yeah physical release. He jerks around and
0: he kind of shoots him again, and then he throws the gun like yeah he doesn't know know what
1: to do with the gun. He
0: he didn't didn't plan any of this. Yeah, Yeah,
1: yeah, I think that that's a cool little touch. Like he's present, he knows what he's doing, he's prepared, and then there's also this other indicator that like. Uh, no, not entirely. You know, he's a, he's like I don't know what to do with my hands, and yeah. uh, and you know, he, Will Ferrell, uh, yeah, and I and I don't have this totally planned out. You know, like oh, what from now? And I'm like oh yeah, what? do I, what?
2: I thought I was gonna be dead. So yeah, now, yeah, yeah. I don't, and what I don't really have any plans yeah. for this part. Yeah, what
1: do I do with this gun now?
0: And then yeah, he just runs up there, and remember, that's life. Mm-hmm. And as another cool nod to dark knight returns which is full of a lot of talking heads like whole pages or half pages of talking heads we get this cool shot where it's kind of zooms out from the screen and we see a whole bank of tvs that are now reporting on murray's death and we're seeing the clip over and over as media always does of like look at this horrible thing don't forget look at this horrible thing Yeah, yeah, watch. yeah. <laughs> watch our coverage yeah. of it and see it again in slow motion cut to the cream song white room
1: Get the money, dollar, dollar bills, yeah, y'all. No.
0: no, but like, in the white room. Yes, blah, blah, blah. good song. Which is great
2: as we're leading up to the final scene this of him of in s- the white room. This movie has a lot of songs that it feels like from the 60s. It's mm. like it takes place in the 80s, but mm-hmm. it's capturing like a Vietnam era, like the chaos of society, and sure. here's the music that went along with it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Joker watches the riots from the
0: back of a police car, and this is a reversal of the earlier shot where he's on the sidewalk looking at the clown in the back of the taxi. Now he's the one looking out at the world and he likes what he sees. This is also similar to Heath's police car escape, where he's sticking his head out the window like Ace Ventura, you know, has a little bit of a duality there.
1: Yeah, that angled shot through the window mm-hmm. reminds me of Dark Knight.
0: The cop car that he's in gets T-boned by a big truck, and rioters in clown masks pull his unconscious body from the wreckage. It's an ambulance, I think.
2: Is One it? And that's noteworthy really, because that yeah. really shows, like, oh, these people have stolen an ambulance yeah. and used it as a ram. Okay,
0: I thought it was just like a stolen truck, but it's interesting to me that. It's never explicitly said, do they know that is
2: the cop car? Do they know he's the one? Or are they just fucking shit up? This time, I kind of felt like it was intentional. The first time, I had more of like, oh, that just happened. And then they're like, oh, it's the guy. Let's get him. But now it seemed like they were like freeing their hero. Hmm.
0: This is another moment where I believe we could easily mark that he has died. And the rest is in his head, especially given what does follow. The Waynes are fleeing from a fancy theater as a lone clown stalks them down the alley. What were they watching? The Gay Zorro?
1: Was it called? Uh,
2: mm. Yeah, I don't remember. The Gay Blade, Blade of that Zorro. That yeah, it,
1: it made me think that the clowns must have rearranged the marquee or something. <laughs> no, it's
2: appropriate for that era. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's the original title of Zorro, The Gay Blade of Zorro. Oh, yeah, cool. Even though I'm not against the inclusion of the Waynes and all that. I think this is one of the few things that people thought was too much. Yeah, because there's not enough of them, especially as a unit, to make the scene have any more payoff Unless you care about Batman anyway. I think the biggest weird choice about it is... The Dutch angle? Mm
0: -hmm.
3: (laughs) No. Seriously.
2: Is the super rats in the
0: background behind him, which (laughs) I didn't notice the first million times I saw this, but they are there. No, what I think is odd is you've deliberately created this age gap between them. Mm -hmm. Arthur's 24 in this movie. (laughs) Then we're still including (laughs) it. Rough, (laughs) And it's sort of... What are you building up towards? He had yeah. said that Batman will never be in this universe. So uh, it's like what it does make sense because he is the age where that would have happened. And this does, in a way, mimic Jack Napier in Batman 89 being the only other time that the Joker caused his parents' death, uh, mm-hmm. though indirectly here. I mean he, the, the guy says, Hey, hey Wayne, you get what you fucking deserve, you know, and he shoots him. But yeah, that is an odd choice to include a setup that we'll never see. But this was also intended as a standalone film. It was mm-hmm. never going to have a sequel. In fact, I do worry that having a sequel
2: will answer too many of these great questions that we've been able to yeah, discuss about this. I mean, I have faith in the movie they made here. I have enough faith to think that the next one could be really good. But it is like weird. Like, Why does this movie... This movie doesn't need a sequel? Yeah, what is this I want to see Lady Gaga, Harley Quinn. <laughs> I mean... Who knows? Because I also was like, "Why do we need
0: this movie?" Yeah. So mm-hmm. I yeah, don't any, any story can be good. Joaquin especially, but I don't think Todd Phillips either would follow the success of that movie with an inferior concept. I don't think that they would do it, especially Joaquin, yeah. unless it was something really worthwhile interesting. and interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: The age difference gets me in this. If I'm supposed to think that. The, this Bruce, the Joker's
2: not 75 years yeah, yeah, old Yeah, exactly. Like how, there's three of them actually I guess. Yeah, so how, right. we'll, we'll find that we'll meet the next two in the next movie
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, dude I heard they tried to make that canon like I guess there was some mention of it in a recent like actual that there Batman are title Jokers. about yeah, the I three like Jokers I read something. yeah and I'm like what that was you fuckers huh stop trying to
1: make black label shit real yeah, that's the whole should. point is it doesn't have to yeah, be it's real it's a killing
2: joke again like oh this is its own thing but actually yeah. now it's not yeah mm-hmm. totally
1: yeah, it just made me think, like, how in the future would this guy be a dude that you struggled <laughs> with physically? Or even he, mentally. This guy's yeah, not planning anything. Yeah, yeah. He, it, the youngest looks to be late 30s, but probably in his 40s or something. And you look to be... Ten, maybe <laughs> you know. So yeah, yeah. You're, you're this gonna, guy's going to be sixty-five by the time you're suiting up. Yeah, there's no way that you struggle with this guy in a fist fight.
2: Well, and this is a Bruce Wayne that like either, if we go down this path, sure, is either Let's. just like becomes like a really good guy and like spends money investing in the city. What everyone says Bruce Wayne is supposed to do and what he does, but like that's all. I guess that's a possibility. Or this is a guy who puts on, like, a ski mask and beats up muggers and stuff like that. Not dressing as Batman, but he is going out and, like...
0: I don't know why they would include it if it's not expected that he becomes Batman. Yeah, and that's why it feels, like, wrong. Yeah. Unnecessary. Joker wakes up on the hood of the cop car. So the guys had pulled his bloody, broken body out of the car crash, you know, out of the wreckage, thrown him up on the hood of the car, and a crowd cheers for him as he wakes up and he brings himself to stand up on the hood. Overlooking this crowd, he begins to dance and notices blood coming from out of his mouth. Again, he runs his fingers across his lips to create a smile, but this one, soaked in blood, feels sincere again. Note, the crowd behind him cheers for the bloody smile before they see what he's done. That's weird
2: one of the only things that I'm like, mistake? Like, why Maybe the crowd in front cheered, and then the people in the back are like, we're cheering now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Hey, what's going on over there? <laughs> Just cheer. Should we do that too?
0: Cut to another white room, identical to the one glimpsed earlier in the brief flashback of the mental hospital. Arthur laughs to himself in therapy. He tells a social worker, who's also a short-haired black woman, not dissimilar to the one we met earlier, and he says... I'm just thinking of a joke cuts to the Wayne's murder for a second. And then he cuts back. You wouldn't get it under his breath. Arthur starts singing Murray's theme song. That's life in particular, the line, some people get their kicks stomping on a dream. That part really resonates here. And we cut to him walking down the asylum hall with bloody footprints as he begins to dance in this final shot. He not only walks into the light, literally, but he does so as the song says, I'm going to roll myself in a big ball and die. As if this whole thing was a delusional fantasy before his death. And on top of that, he has subtle gray in his hair and his stubble that was not there before. So this could also be well into the future, perhaps even laughing about the creation of Batman when he thinks back to that attack in the alley. And this entire story is filled with contradictions. And as I mentioned, I'm slightly worried that we're going to get Answers we don't want. Yeah, but we're also going to meet
2: uh, Killer Croc. (laughs) We've got a new... uh, Enchantress and Zatanna. There's there's a new trouble in this town. It's a man by the name of Jervis Tech. (laughs) He's going by the name Mad Hatter. (laughs) Toymaker. But that's the end of the movie. And at the time, there were a lot of
0: unanswered questions and different interpretations. And people are asking Todd Phillips. And he's like, I will never, ever tell you the answers to these questions. (laughs) I like that. Yes, I know them
2: we intentionally presented it this way this is the film i want you to see i will never tell you the yeah, answer he knows he knows his thought but that doesn't make it any more real than like your interpretation of it well mm. yeah
0: but it's weird though that now the story will continue so some of those arguments will be put to bed forever with the existence of the sequel, however this based, plays out. Based on his interpretation. But, but that he is
2: older here, which is very interesting. This movie stands on its own, so even whatever that movie does, that doesn't... You could still just look at this movie in a vacuum and go, For sure. what does this movie say? What do I think? Yeah.
1: If I've learned anything from like Neon Genesis Evangelion, it's that you could just double down on the confusion. Yeah. And you could just go... Just go further. So by the time <laughs> you, you, you do... You're, four things in and you're four times as confused just keep it yeah. going the
2: sequel is gonna take place ten years before this movie but he's inexplicably <laughs> the Joker in it
1: yeah, yeah. it's just gonna make more questions yeah. and that's what you should do
0: well any easter eggs that we didn't talk about
3: mm. he's using
0: Bill Finger brand clown makeup <laughs> you made
3: that joke on yeah. the last episode
0: <laughs> there is a special thanks to some comic creators at the end I caught Frank Miller and Brian Ballin in particular I did want to rattle off a couple things from King of Comedy and Taxi Driver that I I noted in my marathon movie day on Friday. The second scene of King of Comedy, these are all King of Comedy here, is a fantasy of his talk show comedy hero inviting him on the show. Hmm. He has a crush on a black girl who barely recognizes him, rehearses his own TV appearance in his mom's apartment, Her yelling at him from the other room Off camera The mention of keeping it clean Before he goes on air Uh, The mention that he's destined for greatness An exact quote And ends with the character As I mentioned celebrated for his violent acts Rather than condemned Taxi driver The look of New York City Of course Fixation on society going to shit Obsession with certain scapegoats for transformation pain. yes but you know he first fixates on this woman and then fixates on the candidate and then fixates on the pimps you know like mm. he just kind of is looking for some external escape uh, he watches tv with a gun in his hand just like arthur it ends with a violent climax it's There's nearly the, fatal the and practicing like practicing is in the mirror yeah mm-hmm. yeah you're mm-hmm. right yep Uh, It ends with you know nearly fatal climax and the protagonist has an unbelievably happy ending as if it wasn't even real.
2: Which maybe actually fatal climax and De Niro Mm.
0: say that it's a real ending. But like I understand getting the love letter from or, or like the thank you letter from Jodie Foster's parents at the end of it. Like you saved our daughter. I'm so happy and you know we've got her back home and she's doing well again. And then the final scene. He's driving the taxi again and Sybil Shepherd gets in the back and she's like, you know, I saw you on TV and whatever. And I read about you in the paper, whatever it was. And like, this is a guy who made you so uncomfortable. He took you on a first date at a porn theater. A like Times Square porn yeah, theater. Yeah, like all this weird shit. And, you know, then you find out he murdered
1: some people and you're like, I need to give him a try. Listen,
2: it's, the dating pool is hard. You, know? you <laughs> well, gotta grasp onto whatever you can I
1: find. mean, it's been shown that ladies love. They wanna protect her, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, they, they, they love true crime stuff. And they, they, they like. The like how true. how many girls have lady boners for Jeffrey Dahmer? Like, There's too many, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know what it is, but. Again, our problem
0: with
2: society is women. And I think yeah, oh yeah, gosh. Gosh. you need to do something about it. You watch Gotham by Gaslight, right? Because that was that movie's <laughs> thesis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, well, I could have my timeline mixed up, so if I'm wrong, wrong, I'm, but I'm not wrong. I'm going to stand up until proven otherwise. future man right. has
1: been around so much, the the different timelines get muddled in
2: his brain. Yeah, I'm living all timelines at once. That's yeah, he's talking right. I mean, Yeah, yeah. Here's this egg. That's from the show. I don't know if you guys watched the show. I missed that one. Here's this egg. What show? Or uh, Attack on Titan. I won't say anything more. If anyone likes that and hasn't finished it yet, watch that show. Oh, about quadrupling down on confusion? And weird time stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, okay, yeah. But, uh... Get the, to the fucking point! Well, if you guys would stop derailing me and let me talk for once. Oh my God, the other day? <laughs> Just talking about how violence and, like, the examination of these kind of characters and that people taking the wrong idea from them and the wrong message. Yeah. I think it's, like, the guy who tried to assassinate Ronald Reagan,
3: I Reagan
2: was obsessed with Jodie Foster. Yeah. That was, like, and that's after that movie. Yeah, was that in any way tied to that? Or <laughs>
0: honestly, I'd have to look that from up. From when you were alive, was it John that? Hinkle? Was that his name? John Hinkley, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would have to check into that. I don't remember if it was directly from the film, but yeah, it is weird. Both of those movies, and I think in a very ironic way, celebrates the you know the carnage that they've not tried to sugarcoat this character and make him seem cool the whole time. Like they make him seem desperate and fucked up and when you finally see the lengths he's willing to go it's revolting yeah it's it's
2: a reflection of the audience you're supposed to go this guy sucks yeah you're not supposed to go exactly yeah Yeah. exactly
0: and it's kind of like man people are gonna walk out of here going like that was so good you know that they're kind of making fun of that you know at, at the end of the film and this one doesn't really do
2: that this one is genuinely like what a cool guy. Look at him dancing down that hallway. Yeah. No,
0: no. This one is like. Such a sweet style. <laughs> this one is like, wow, this guy just fucked up shit. For, like he just unleashed this whole fucking can of worms and like, oh, wait, he's fucked up again. So it at least gives you the seed of doubt of like, oh, well, he got all these people on his. Well, did he?
1: Mm-hmm. How'd you get from
0: there? How to much there? of that was real? Uh-huh. Like, is this just the adoration he always dreamt of? Mm-hmm. You know, if he can't have it in comedy, he's going to have it for violence. I don't know. It could be exactly the same way he imagined Sophie's character. You know, yeah, fuck those guys. You know, it was lines. a it
2: was a dark comedy all the time. <laughs> Hi Dogie. You're my favorite customer. <laughs> Keep the change.
1: I have no idea what oh, yeah, i have
2: never seen it. That's where he was trying to make a drama and then it became
1: I know of it.
2: Yeah, it became like a cult classic because of how strange and bad it is. And then later on he's like, actually, I was making a comedy the whole time. I dark would comedy.
0: I would recommend The Disaster Artist, it is a funny movie about the making of that movie with a side-by-side comparison at the end Mm. of the scenes they recreated and the actual movie. And it goes on for a while, like quite a few scenes, Mm. and you get to see that it actually is that ridiculous. But I wonder if an uninitiated person would watch The Disaster Artist and be like, this movie is dumb. I don't believe this. (laughs) It's so unbelievably dumb and the way this guy talks, you could be watching it and going, what is James
2: Franco doing? You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Room is, you know, kind of an entertaining movie just because of how strange it is, but... It's one to watch with a group of friends, I think. It's kind of... Okay, thanks for rubbing it in. <laughs> Um, That's
0: the only setting I saw it in was people like, oh my God, you gotta see this. And we're all laughing. Our I was asses trying to off. watch
2: it on like my PlayStation Portable at an airport and they got to like the awkward <laughs> sex scene. I'm like, I can't watch this in public. Yeah.
3: This oh weird. my gosh.
2: But you can, I don't even think you need to watch the movie. You could just read the his book. close up? The, yeah, it's very extreme. The guy who played like Mark, Skimpy? one of the main characters, wrote a book uh, about uh, the whole right, thing. Greg Sotero Cic- or yeah, yeah. That book is really good and really interesting. I like that a lot more than The Disaster Artist. Word. Prose. Joaquin Phoenix's entire performance, but again, I want to make special Oscar-winning performance. The physicality of it, yes. every aspect of the changing, mm-hmm. even though it's the transformation into a bad character, the use of dance in that way mm-hmm. is really neat. And that's like, I mean, it's easy to take for granted the skills of a great actor, yeah. But like the physical aspect of that, being able to channel that in a way that, like, I don't think about dance that much in my life, but to see that used in this movie this way is very, very cool. Mm-hmm. One thing that I was
0: really struck by, watching Scarface last night, I haven't seen it in 10, 15 years, Pacino's body language. Throughout the whole movie, You know, he's got this air of confidence in the way he sees himself, and he's going to be somebody, and, and he wants to have the nice clothes and the car and the women on his arm and all this stuff, and he wants the status of class and everything that comes with it. And all of these scenes, once he's made it, and he's in his big tux and all this... He's still all hunched over and looks like a fucking depressed teenager or something, uh, mm. and he sticks out among all the other rich people all the time. Of like, he always wanted to insert himself into this world, but he didn't come from this world. Mm. You can't, can't fake it exactly. You can't never
1: actually be that.
0: Yeah, I liked seeing that movie as a thirty-eight-year-old and taking away much different things than I would when I saw it when I was twenty-two. You know. Hmm.
1: Evan, do you have some pros to add? Yeah, mostly just the visual stuff. Yeah. The film looks really nice. They do a good job of kind of subtly taking you back in time. Not, They don't have like a ton of indicators that... Not a bunch of neon
2: exercise clothes. Yeah, the it's, 80s it's, it's not, it's not, not, not like a lot of George uh, Michael on the radio. Well, that's something yeah. using older music kind of works to its advantage because if they were playing 80s Makes music. Makes it a little more timeless. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, if you watch something that's uh, from the 1950s and they'll make sure to include some 57 Bel Airs and some yep. some stuff that really, oh yeah, you know, this is the golden oldies. If it was really aping Scorsese, you should have just been loaded
0: with Rolling Stones song. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But you do get. I see a red door.
1: (laughs) You do get hints of Murray and whoever the producer guy is. They're rocking like leisure suits, Mm -hmm. you know. So you do get this. Okay, you know, interesting. This
0: feels accurate. It doesn't feel like it's in your face. Like you know what? Good example of a, a movie everyone hates, but Wonder Woman 1984. I watched it a second time. And was like, oh, I get it. This isn't like Hot Tub Time Machine. We're like, we're in the 80s now. Oh, my God. Right? Mm-hmm. They're making an 80s movie. Like, it feels like an mm. 80s action campy the kind of and movie. The style of the uh-huh. movie
2: is 80s. Exactly. Like,
0: yeah. it, it felt like the Snyderverse doing an 80s movie. Mm. It just happens to be set there. So, like, the, yeah, the, the background, the mall, the extras are dressed in a certain way. But, like... It didn't feel like that's the whole point of the movie, Mm -hmm. you know? The
1: new version of something that could have come out 30 years ago. Yeah. The performance is awesome. The actor pool seems like kind of recycled a lot, you know? And and this is what people do. Well, yeah, you'll be watching a a movie and you'll be like,
0: oh, look, it's Iron Man and the Hulk and Mysterio.
2: Zodiac, for example. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) totally. It's Drew Carey's brother, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Diedrich Bader. Is that what you're talking no, about?
2: No, that's his friend. It's the his cross-dressing brothers in Zodiac. Oh, okay. Wow. He's that's maybe a, the Zodiac it's killer. A deep cut. Wow. To spoil spoiler, he's the guy at the very end. Arthur Lee Allen. Maybe I yeah. don't. I haven't seen that movie in a yeah, long time. Yeah. Okay.
1: But I really like when an actor isn't themselves or hasn't established one of those personalities that they can't escape, you know, you can't get around the fact that you are just we're talking about De Niro, you know, it, it just right. seems very similar in a lot of these roles and maybe that's why you get cast, but that doesn't fit for every character yeah. so like, Joaquin's ability to, his like voice inflection and his ability to be off and be weird and not be the Joker that we kind of know. Well, you could see why he was drawn to
0: something like this because it gives him so much freedom for interpretation. For sure. He seems
2: very obsessed with that.
0: Well, What you were talking about of like you might cast an actor because he does that thing. Like you might cast De Niro Mm -hmm. for the wrong reasons. You might cast him to recreate this sort of presence on screen when you're not casting him for his incredible range. You know, you're not Mm. You're not going, oh, well, this is the guy who played Max Cady, you know, in Cape
2: Fear as well. Travis Pickle and uh, Jake LaMotta from Raging Bull. Yeah. Like the mm-hmm. dad in Brooklyn story and or whatever. Bronx, the one where he's Bronx the Buster tale. Bronx tale, yeah.
0: Well, yeah. And, you know, like yesterday, as I was mentioning, I continued this kind of binge with these actors. And, you know, I watched Goodfellas and then I watched Scarface, and, you know, for the first time in a long time with these movies afterward i was like okay that was a lot of heavy violent movies (laughs) but i was struck thinking like pacino's performance in scarface is fucking incredible and i think a lot of times you might just think of it as sort of the the most exaggerated parts and Mm -hmm. you know things that have been emulated and and made fun of but like contrast that with michael corleone who I think raises his voice one time in the Mm -hmm. whole trilogy, or maybe the first two, but pretty much raises his voice one time. And he's very calm and controlled and deliberate. Polar opposite characters. And then I thought, you know, my my Thanksgiving tradition, because the Irishman came out on Thanksgiving, I watch it every year. And I thought, you know what? Another performance of his that's not dissimilar to like the Jimmy Hoffa accent he did it's this HBO film where he played Jack and It's called You Don't Know Jack. I remember the advertising for that. Yeah, and I hadn't seen it in years. I remember being blown away. It's like him and Susan Sarandon, John Goodman, like fucking great cast. And I watched that because I was like, you know, also dark subject matter, but he's a very compassionate person. He's a, he's a very different kind of character than all those movies I just watched. And mm. so... As my palate cleanser, I watched Pacino's performance of Jack Kevorkian last night. You <laughs> watched it. As my palate cleanser for all violence, I watched a movie death. about assisted suicide. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yes, I did. Because <laughs> he Trying has, to keep it light and airy for this holiday season. He has so much heart. Why didn't you watch Simone? In that would that, have been more appropriate.
0: Isn't that like her or something? Kind of. Like, yeah, like and it's
2: like virtual weird and, and not, it's thing. not a movie about death. Yeah. I don't think I don't remember it being. Well, that.
0: I, I was just more thinking about you know his his performances that I really loved, and I thought, oh man, in terms of his versatility, I want to revisit that one, and um, I was really happy that I did because again, it's easy to think of this guy as like the big loud Scarface guy, the big loud Heat guy, you know, mm-hmm. like oh, Pacino does that thing, right? Let's get Pacino to do that thing. It's The same as
2: De Niro. I mean that. Well, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. that's
0: kind of how I led here, and that I think if you're doing it for that reason, you're kind of missing the point of like what makes them who they are. And that's yeah. that commitment to the role. And and all of the things that Joaquin brings to this movie is the amount of time that he immersed himself in creating this person and bringing him to life. I mean, this is a very multifaceted, conflicted, three-dimensional person. Mm-hmm. I think it deserves all all of the accolades and all of the analysis that I've enjoyed watching of people break down his scenes.
1: Yeah. Other thing, the first time I watched this, I mean, it... it, Threw up and I couldn't sleep. uh, Yeah. You know, it's heavy. You should sit a little
2: further away from the TV. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think the blood sprayed me on the couch. I know that this is a a downer, but at the time, I think it was prior to me starting to take any meds or anything. Mm. And it really hit me hard like really like I don't need to watch this ever again I I felt like
0: yeah I take long breaks between this movie
1: yeah (laughs) it it was it was like relatable in ways that I didn't want it to be relatable and Mm -hmm. but also kind of this like cyclical sadness thing you know you feel away so you seek out the songs Mm -hmm. but then does that further keep you in the place because now you're ingesting the sad stuff you're or something. It, sure. yeah. yeah. And so I was just really feeling a lot of it very strongly yeah. and was happy that it, and maybe it's connected to meds again. It's not about not feeling, but maybe I. it's just an indicator that I'm in a better spot because watching it again this time I didn't feel that way, you yeah. know, like all the same. S- More detached from it. Yeah, uh, it, at least it wasn't speaking for me, and it was less relatable and stuff. You know, everything was still just as sad and just as graphic, but I didn't find that it like clung to me. Yeah, in in the same way.
2: Well, maybe so- it speaks to how many people were in a similar state as you that they had that kind of reaction to this movie because neither time that I watched it, I was like, oh my God, that's the most fucked up thing I've seen and that makes me feel so much like, it's an Mm -hmm. excellent movie, but I never had that. I was never like, oh, that was hard for me to watch. (laughs) I've seen things that are hard for me to watch and things that make me feel things really strongly. Sure, This isn't one of those, but a lot of people had that kind of reaction to Mm -hmm. it. and Some people had that in a way they were like, this movie is bad because of that.
0: And Mm. closer to what Evan was saying, I won't out him, but a person that we know has told me on multiple occasions and I have told him that makes me uncomfortable. Like, Oh yeah. Watching my origin story again, uh, you know, and stuff Mm. like that. And like talking about how like this movie is my life story. And I'd be like, dude, this is, that's fucked. And he's like, no, no, I mean, not, not the conclusion. I'm talking about the upbringing and all the fucking, the system failing you, and you know mm. the things your parents did to you, and like all those all those type of things really, really rang true for him. And I, you know, I hate that that's yeah. his reality, you know. But yeah, man, I. <laughs> it's not something I would he think said that. that you'd want to
1: revisit all that many times. He's,
2: yeah, he said that to me numerous times since this has come out. That like, a similar is but like not as dark ideas. Like I know tons of friends, you know, who have kids now, and they're like, I can't or my wife can't like watch a movie with children in peril. Right, like they just can't do it. It's yes. so uncomfortable. That yeah, they just yeah, can't yeah. watch a movie like that. Hits too
1: close to home now.
0: The actual fears and stuff, mm-hmm. which is funny because it's like people are never able to empathize with something until <laughs> they can compare it to their exact it, life. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. otherwise well, uh, Yeah, what's the big deal? I'm like Alzheimer's, get the fuck out of here. And then it's like when my mom was diagnosed, I started a foundation of like <laughs> you know I didn't like gay people
2: until I knew one. <laughs> And then I realized. Until you know I what? became a gay people. <laughs> <It'd be fun. laughs> <laughs> they were people too.
1: Uh, I'm people too. <laughs> what's what is a movie that you guys have only seen once and are content to leave it like that? Zero Dark
2: 30. This isn't the only one, but the, the immediate one that came to <laughs> mind one? for me is Schindler's List.
1: Ah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, I've never like, seen that uh, actually. It's <laughs> worth watching. I've it's just like, yeah, it's... if there was
2: ever a thing to like. Capture the essence of the Holocaust is not a phrase I want to say. <laughs> sure, like, for something you could sit down and watch for a few hours, because generally I'm like, that's not what movies are really for. They're too short to encompass real things in a in a like. So the guy way. who complains about long movies. No, it's because I have other things I want to do. <laughs> but I mean, you can't like you can't make a movie about World War II.
0: Sure, obviously they, you obviously can. They've done a EL bunch, problem. but like,
2: yeah, the best ones. Or the most complete one, just focus on one small element. You have an anecdotal... These characters' story within it. Embodiment Mm -hmm. of the... You could make like a 10-hour Ken Burns documentary, and that would be like... If you really cared about learning about the war, that would be your intro, and then you'd go spend months reading all the different books, and maybe you'd have sort of a picture of it.
0: If Mm
3: -hmm.
2: you really cared, you hear this shit? Yeah, you guys don't care. Go back to your video games. (laughs) Not me, I don't play video games. But so that one is like the horror of what that would be like to be like the entire thing. But yeah. I don't ever want to watch it again because of that. Yeah, that's the first one that comes right. Yeah, time. that's
1: that was going to be my other answer.
2: There's also tons of movies that I've never really been a part of. There's like irreversible. Is that a sex change movie? No, it's a movie where somebody gets like raped, but the whole movie goes backwards. I see why well, you didn't laugh at my joke then. Yeah, but it's made by like an incredible art house director. Even some of like the like Bronson. Bronson's okay. not so uncomfortable, but the Nicholas Winding Refn movies. There's just a lot of those kind of films like art house directors who push the limits of, like, what makes you comfortable or uncomfortable. Yeah. But that's not the same to me as Schindler's List, where Schindler's List is, like, it's just so viscerally, like, rendered on screen that it's just unpleasant to be there. I don't feel like he's not like those guys where he's trying to make you uncomfortable Yeah. to, like, look at my art. He's, like, trying to make you uncomfortable because look at this thing that happened.
1: Yeah, and I think that you know... Unless you're a denier or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh,
2: Steven Spielberg using <laughs> his high-quality skills as a filmmaker to like, spin this yarn. It wasn't Jewish really a lot of propaganda. Gosh. Yeah. Stick uh, to E.T., Steve.
0: <laughs> I don't know if this show is going to have jokes like that in the future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're going to lose our uh, ironic commentary. Yeah. It's probably for the best. <laughs> it well, is. What were you saying yeah, before? Yeah. Many times Once I got those things out anyway.
1: dick jokes and stuff, <laughs> it's just going to... Ratings are going to bomb.
0: I'm sure the dick jokes will stay.
1: Uh, Yeah. Just that I think that we know that something is real and it just makes it that much more disturbing.
2: No? No, no. Yeah, you're wrong. That's what I'm, okay. that's why I'm interrupting yeah, yeah. you. <laughs>
1: oh, wait. No, you said something there, though. Yesterday,
0: I had the thought, while watching Goodfellas, and again, they make everything look so exciting and cool and whatever, and I have a harder time with that. Which is a true story. I've read the book by Henry Hill, wise yeah. guy, and, and it's all shit that happened. They might change the names or whatever, but like, it's fucking horrific the things these people did, and it's played out like, oh my god, <laughs> look, look at how this fucking wacky life. crazy this yeah, is, yeah, right? Yeah. Chinsaw showers. And then I begin to watch Scarface again, which I haven't seen in much longer, and I'm like, well. At least this might be easier to watch because I know that none of it's real. And then by the time we get to like the chainsaw and the first act and all the shit, I'm like, oh no, 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 nope, not any easier. Jesus Christ. And this sort of real like
2: gangs, <laughs> like those kind of organized crime gangs, like the, the I level, know it was still based on things that were happening yeah, the at that time. Yeah, the level and extremity but, of violence is.
0: Yeah, but still, yeah. It, I, I thought it would make it easier knowing that it wasn't real, but occasionally you'll get to the end of a movie and it'll give you like the
2: postscript of what happened next, and I'm like.
0: Hmm. Oh, God, this is... Oh, I didn't know it yeah. happened. Jesus Christ. Or like where you
2: read about it and you're like, the real story is worse than the movie you watched. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, my God. Changeling is another movie. Somebody recommended that. Angelina like, oh. Jolie? Yeah, I was like, this, this seems good. And I had a friend who recommended it It just said like, yeah, it's good. You should watch it. And I went into that not knowing anything about it. You're like, oh, yeah. Tomb Raider, right? <laughs> yeah. Because I'm a fucking moron. <laughs> <laughs> um, but watching that movie, like it takes a turn. Later on, where I'm like, oh, my God, this is so much worse than I even expected. Uh, uh, excellent movie. Really uh, well done. Really well made. But I'm like, I, I'd be I only fine, saw that fine once, to never watch I, it again. I don't really remember. That was Clint Eastwood, right? Yeah. It's I like child so. murder, and like, but in a very real, like, oh, the city of Los Angeles is terrible. This place is terrible. Right. Mm. Horrible things happen. And uh, that's why, another way movies and media can skew you a little different. Because like, most people, and most of our lives, don't encompass that sort of horror or bad things. We all have bad things that happen to us, but not like that. But it's easy to get a darker view of reality when you're consuming stories that are, by nature, extreme and unique and novel. And I think
0: what's interesting about this film is that it's character-driven. It's all point-of-view driven. It's not some big elaborate Joker plan. It's not some superhero action thing is just slowly watching this guy unravel, and and having he, we begin, and he's having a really hard life, and we follow him as he learns more about his early years, and and just how hard his life truly has been, and how he got to this point, and all of the decisions that that informs, you know, because it's a personal story, it's an intimate thing. I think that's why it works so well because whether you want to or not, there are human things that you can recognize in our character. Even when you want to turn away, you still kind of want to see how
2: it's going to play out. You know? Yeah. Did either of you have any other movies like that?
0: I mean, yeah, there certainly have been things. Because I can be really disturbed by violence, I think there's definitely like horror movies that I've enjoyed that I won't watch for 10 years or something, and then I'll be like, I mean, I liked it, I think I'll give it another try, you know. Huh. Mm-hmm. So there, there will be things for me that are just too violent, and I can't watch for a long time. Like, I mean, there was a period where I, I sold off all those, you know, gangster movies like that I'm talking about today. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I mean, it was fascinating to discover all these, this whole genre and this era of filmmaking when I was younger, and also because the craft of
2: filmmaking grew in those films. Yeah, not just yeah. The stories.
0: I mean, it, it was something really to behold, and I'm glad that I dove into that. 70s, 80s cinema, because of that. That was kind of the Trojan horse for me to Mm. get into, you know, Clint Eastwood and and other things. Yeah. Wedding crashers. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And other things like that. But there was also a time where I went, man, like I was really consuming a lot of violent movies in my early 20s and I sold all of them. Yeah. You know, now that I'm much, much older, Mm. um, I am building the collection I want to have forever. And some of them revisited and been like, yeah, I'm going to keep this. This is a really great piece of work. Other ones, like Casino, where I went, this took all the wrong lessons from Goodfellas, and I don't want to see this ever again. (laughs) (laughs) This is an inferior film Mm. that glorifies the violence even more.
1: I got Schindler's List. Probably don't need to watch Hotel Rwanda again.
2: Yes. Uh, that's exactly what I thought of movies. It was like, yeah, movies about genocide in general. Or like, yeah, just
1: most war stuff.
0: Yeah, actually, war movies in particular, like some of them are fucking incredible. And then I'll never need, I won't need to see them again for five or 10 years. Like Hacksaw Ridge, speaking of. Uh, oh, man. Oh, no, that's not Clint Eastwood. That's fucking uh, Mel, Mel Gibson, Gibson. Yeah. and uh, Andrew Garfield. Uh, you yeah, know, picked up that movie for cheap a while back. And. I let it sit on my fucking shelf for six months before I got up the nerve to watch it. And, I
1: regret watching that in four K.
0: Oh my God! I mean, it's phenomenal. Like, I mean, to this day, I've never watched Saving Private Ryan because I didn't make it past the first scene. That's um, one. Now
2: that you're a little more, I think now that I'm older, fortitude, I Fortitude, it's worthwhile. It's a really good.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, I, I could. It's
2: a great movie. I could get through it now, but yeah, I mean, there have definitely been things that are, are are just so bleak. I've never watched The Pacific, although I would like to. But Band of Brothers is one I could watch. I yeah. have watched it the whole thing multiple times. and Lauren loves those. Yeah. Even though I've only seen Zodiac once and I thought it was amazing, I don't know that I'm ever going to watch it again. I kind of mm. want to because it's amazing, but I'm also like, oh, what a fucking downer.
0: Zodiac is yeah. one of my favorite Fincher movies, and it's part of the reason that I had so many problems with The Killer, which I watched the following day. Mm. I just happened to watch Zodiac, and then the next day I'm like, Oh, the new Fincher movie's you out. You rewatched Zodiac. You'd seen it before? Or that was your oh, first Oh, yeah, year? I've okay. owned it for 15 years. But I I think every time I've revisited that movie, I am really shocked and grossed out by the first act violence, you know, when the happy couples out at Lover's Lane and all this shit, and those are brutally depicted. Yeah, that ruined sunny days at the park for me. <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> I was like, who's there? <laughs> but, but the reason I like that film is the investigative nature of it and, and the way that the Robert Graysmith character obsesses over it, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal and, and the way he starts trying to put together these possible answers to a
2: real life unsolved case is fascinating. It's almost like Spotlight because Spotlight's another movie Spotlight. I don't think I want to watch again. But the same really? thing Really? Well I, I mean it's love not, that it's movie. not as it's not because it doesn't fixate on the bad thing that spurred the whole no, thing on if, in the way if that, that Zodiac focused does. on the
0: crimes, it would be unwatchable.
2: Yeah. But it's the same kind of thing where the triumph of that movie is watching these like driven people Use their skills and strengths to fix a wrong, or yeah, and, solve a problem, and
0: to stand up in the face of a society who says, "Well, the church is untouchable. You can't uh, look. Look, I hear what you're saying. You, you can't do this. Don't make a problem for yourself." Sort yeah. of thing, and that's what makes it really interesting because it's a truth to power sort of mm. story. But I mean, Keaton, Ruffalo, McAdams, like the, the, everybody, the, the, those performances yeah. are fucking amazing. Leav Schreiber, oh my god, like everybody in that movie. I mean, they're all real people. Yes, and that's the reason that I really, really liked Zodiac is those qualities, but yes, it has those moments that remind you like, oh, by the way, like this guy is not cool, like do not mistake this for someone that, yeah. you know, is, is. oh, he's an enigma and I can't wait to, like, no, this is a fucking piece of shit, mm. and Needs to be stopped, and that's why these yeah. guys can't stop. Not because it's like just so interesting, and you know, like the the Jeffrey Dahmer thing you mentioned earlier. It's mm-hmm. Like, it's not that, guys. You know, it's it's something real, and it's fucked up.
1: Green Mile is on my list.
0: Yeah, man. I so that. many movies I have not seen, which is
1: crazy. That's almost not in the category because I didn't even finish that one. Oh wow, you didn't finish that one.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, that movie is
1: after the Electric Chair thing. I was like, Dunzo, I'm out yeah, of it. it's
2: miserable, but. There's so much hope in that movie, and from it, but but no, that definitely like is in that wheelhouse of like, yeah, once is probably enough.
1: Yeah, the other barbarity, barbarism, whatever, barbarism, yeah, was so much and so visual that just. Shrouded everything else. Uh, I, know, mm. I know that it's supposed to be about uh, <laughs> about hope and redemption and blah blah blah. But mm, it's too much. Too yeah, much. yeah. But I I can't. I see mean that, past that this scene in stuff. particular
2: is with the one guy so effective at making you hate oh. the guy, the guard. Yeah. Worth watching at least once.
0: Just pulled up my my letterbox because I, I got the app earlier this year, the beginning of the year, and my goal was to watch four hundred films this year you want to watch the movie 300 400 times
2: yeah. <laughs> get inside of this movie live in it
0: so as of today which is this is the weekend just after thanksgiving i am going to hit my goal i am at 382 and 356 of them are unique so i've re- i've <laughs> or based rewatched on a
2: stephen king novel or short story <laughs> so
0: so almost 30 of these are surely dc movies that i've rewatched or something hmm. but it's interesting to me that the well Will never run dry. That I'll I'll still always be able to. You know, someone's telling me about Shawshank Redemption or whatever it is, and I'm like, oh man, I okay, I'll check it out. You know, I love that you can still always find, especially stuff from before your time.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: That yeah, and as you maybe like get tired of. Trends from a certain era, that's the perfect time to like go back and watch older movies where you'd be like, yeah. before, like, this is fucking boring. I can't sit through this. Mm-hmm. Now you're ready for it or you're ready for something different.
0: Yeah. And I think mm. that one thing I really like doing is I sort of watch movies kind of like a DJ segues music. So, like, I'm Lamely? talking about, yes. No, but th- talking about how, like, I will follow an actor a certain way and then I might follow the director from that one a certain way. And then uh-huh. uh, I really like kind of going through one person's body of work and then leading me to another one's and digging back through different performances or different eras of a director and, you know, trying to appreciate sort of the evolution and the body of work and, you know, like watching those older Scorsese movies. To get back to Joker, people have discounted this film and Todd Phillips for ripping off those earlier works or it's a remake. And I don't think so at all. I think like most art... It takes elements from a broad variety of sources in cinematic references, in comic book references, and creates something that lives and breathes as a unique piece of art. And to me, watching all these movies in one sitting, this is a far better film, yes, than Taxi Driver, which was made at a time when Scorsese was still finding his vision and his powers as a creator, right? Like, you watch that movie, there are things about it that still hold up to this day. But the way that this movie is shot, to me, is just masterfully done in a way that does not even compete when you watch those older films. And not just because Mm -hmm. it's like, you can watch a good restoration of an old film. I mean, fucking Scarface... Looks phenomenal on 4K, like it uh, holds up brilliantly. But, you know, some of these other ones are very much like you're looking at a more primitive version of this person who would go on to make more elaborate features, like even Goodfellas or Wolf of Wall Street or something yeah. like that. Like you're not seeing that guy. You're not watching Hateful Eight guy when you watch Reservoir Dogs. Sure. It's a different person, mm. you know. And so that's fascinating to me of like you're later in your career emulating the earlier part of a career Mm -hmm. of a more revered director in certain ways. But to me, he's exceeded it so much in the combination of these influences. Mm -hmm. He's turned it into something that, to me, is more enjoyable
2: than its references. It's definitely standing on the shoulders of those things. So without them, it couldn't exist.
0: Totally. And I think that's the fascinating thing about... Music, you know, is something I've always found interesting. Whether it's samples or or covers or learning to play like your favorite guitar player or whatever it is, and then you hear that morph into something else, you know. Greg Graffin from Bad Religion described it as the Markovian process, where everything that exists only exists because of what came before it. Mm. Yep. I think that if you're aware of that and you're trying to do something different and you're trying to level up your own Craft, which there's no fucking debate that Todd Phillips has done that here what more could you want as a creative person Mm. than trying to constantly one up yourself and inject a bit of all of your favorite things and and try to make your own version of that like this is just wonderful I don't have any of those type of critiques about it at all Uh, I
2: never did read my prose here is there anything else that I missed movies paced really well I never found it to be dragging or, like, oh, God. Because knowing where it was all going to go already, sometimes that, like, kills the speed of a movie. Like, oh, mm. can we fucking get to the next scene already? Yeah. I didn't really have that with any of this. One thing that we didn't really talk about, some of the,
0: why are they making this movie? Is because you have a person with famously, like, the multiple choice origin story or, you know, The Dark Knight. Like, who knows how we got here or whatever. Why would you want a movie that spells out this guy's origin, right? Mm -hmm. And the great thing is it does. And it doesn't because it answers some of these questions and you, you learn about this person, but there's so many things that are left to your own interpretation as to what happened. There's so many unanswered questions. And to me, the best thing about this movie is the discussion you can have about it. The more that you look at it in different ways, Like, If there's any discussion of greatness in this film beyond Joaquin's performance, it's the questions that it raises. It's the things that it doesn't spell out for you. I think it's one of the most fun and interesting movies to talk about, despite not being the most fun movie to watch. Mm -hmm. The parking lot conversation outside the theater that you can have with this movie is endless.
2: I like Leto's Joker more. Lego Joker, that's what you like? Leto.
0: I know. I just have to, like, one more time make a joke about your odd pronunciations of actors' names. Well, how am I supposed to? What is it? Is it Jared Lego? I've, n- <laughs> yes, it is Lego, and he is made of bricks.
2: They say Leto? Jared yeah, Leto?
0: Yeah. I've never heard a single human being say that, but you, and you've you said still it. You still haven't you've heard a single human being You've said, said it for it. four years.
2: Oh, my God, he's a robot.
0: But, yeah, you know, I like to just occasionally, like, I'm going to let him go. But one of these days. Cons. I'm going to jump on Evan's point to piggyback. It is so intense and violent that it is hard to watch at times. It's my
2: only con. In a similar way, but not because of the intensity and the violence, but just because of the subject matter and the tone. It's like, just, I'm not into it. Yeah. It doesn't overwhelm me. I'm just like, what? A, I could be. Like, boy, this is fucking dark. Yeah. Um
1: Yeah. This time around, while I didn't feel it as intensely as the other time before, I have been relating to a lot of uh, Ben's. Uh, there's been a couple of times recently where he's like, I just didn't, I don't want to watch that. Or, you know, I've seen so much stuff about you know, Gaza. I'm not interested in watching anything that depicts gun violence or... Death and dismemberment. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, I mean, there'll like, be a
0: time where like, oh man, I'm I'm going to go see... You whatever comes out on Friday and then there'd be like a fucking terrible shooting on Thursday or something. And then you're watching this like action movie and you're like, the last thing I want to see is a fucking machine gun right now.
1: (laughs) Totally. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that it has me a little more aware of what I'm ingesting.
0: Yeah. I think it's good to occasionally have us be aware of what, were wa- yeah. I'm
1: like, man, we just, like without question, watch this shit all the time. Like, Jesus Christ. Totally. And in other things where violence isn't like the point, but it is
2: part of it. It's yeah. part of the spectacle. It's what you're paying your yeah. admission fee to go.
1: It has me questioning that even. You know, like, was it necessary? And why is this cool? And why am I okay watching it? You know because it's ultimately up to us as the consumer you know what we let be a part of our personal bubble and life and the world will affect us but some of that we, is our own we yeah we brought on ourselves yeah. and if that's the case like I don't need to watch some stuff like glorifies stuff and yeah. other stuff is even if it's not Really trying to.
2: That's the claim I always threw against uh, Watchmen. The movie is that like the whole point of the book is that if superheroes were real, they would suck because people are flawed. Yeah. And if you give them too much power, right. like we see in reality, mm-hmm. that it's not going to work out well. And the movie was like, yeah, that, but also look at this awesome slow mo. It's really and cool. These, mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> threw that hot grease in that guy's face. What a fucking badass! Yeah, yeah. yeah. it Sick. just sort of misses the point of that.
1: Yeah, like it's supposed to be deplorable. That's why, like, when we talk this or Schindler's List or something, you know, it's not bad because it's negative subject matter. If the point was to make you sad or make you cringe or make you uncomfortable, then this is, like, highly effective. You know, like Schindler's List. If you wanted people to be sad and contemplative... A+. plus. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. you killed it. You and you really...
0: It. I mean, for me anyway, I really have to arrive at... And I think part of it is sort of the, you know, the, the journey through the different films, one leading into another, and then I wind up in a different genre, and then it's like, you know what? Yeah, I think I'm ready to give some of these ones a try that I haven't been mm-hmm. able to do for a while. Because you can't just put on Joker in the middle of your anniversary in Hawaii. It doesn't work, you know? <laughs> but something that you mentioned, Evan, was... If the violence is the point, or if it is a consequence of the story, or something like that, mm. that is my big thing. Where it's one of the things that kept me away from horror movies. Where, like, I remember when the first Saw movie came out, we may have discussed this before, but was like, I don't know, you know, horror can be too much. But I watched it and I was like, wow, that's actually kind of a, a really unique crime story, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And then I went to see the second one and I'm like, <laughs> Oh, no. Not anymore. Again, they sort of learned all the wrong lessons from this. And it's like, this is only about the torture now. This is only about the violence. It's not trying to be clever. It's trying to be gross. And to me, I'm like, I'm done. And at that point, might have been around that time that Scream 4 came out. And it was the first one in a while. And I was like, oh, man, I liked these movies when I was growing up but I don't watch them anymore. But, oh, they got Kristen Bell and Hayden Panettiere. Like, I I like these actors. I'll check it out, you know. And I go see it. I'm like, oh, I like these actors, and I have to watch them all suffer and get murdered. (laughs) You know, and then I was (laughs) like, no, this is not my genre. You know, because, again, when the violence is the point, that's when I lose interest. Like, I can watch some gnarly
2: shit if it's – cool. No, no. If it's fucking sick. No, Style. I don't yeah.
0: even mean that. I, 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 Did you
2: see the way his arm got bent back? That was fucking right.
0: I, I struggle to think of an example, but like where it's a good story and there happens to be some terrible tragedy that motivates this character or something like that, I can watch that a lot easier than I can watch something that's just trying to do the most gratuitous violence. And, and mm-hmm.
2: so, like, I could never watch horror movies or even like scary movies when I was younger. Right as a child. And now I can, and it's not really like my main thing, but I do think there's something to be said for like the catharsis of the fantasy of it, even if it's something like that, where it's just violence yes. and death, mm-hmm. of like, I get why it's some people's thing. And of like point oh 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 one percent of the people who are into that are like, this is what I want to do.
0: Yeah, I, I think mm-hmm. that friends of mine who are really into horror tend to be people who have had you know, anxiety issues or trauma or, or, or something like that. And what I've come to understand as I get older is I think hostiles is a, is a good example. It's not a horror movie, but it's the one you let me borrow recently. I think so. The Western, the Western Christian yeah, yeah. Bale. Yeah. And I was in a terrible mood and I just needed to get out of the house. And I just went to see that movie by myself and it was so intense. The first act it's heartbreaking and it's hard to watch and it's, it's incredibly violent and then it takes you on this this journey, right? That's kind of the the inciting act of the story. But when I walked out of the theater, it had like a profound effect on me. I felt all of the emotions in the story, and it cleansed me of my own anger and anxiety
2: that I had that day. It's almost like aversion therapy or something like that, where like forcing you to confront this thing in a safe way yes. that you come mm. out the other side. i like, okay, but I didn't actually experience those things. Yes,
0: and so I can draw on that experience in my life and I understand, you know, my friends who are really into horror that that they maybe have uh, stuff that they're struggling with every day and this is a controlled way of hmm. feeling things yeah. that sort of
2: takes them out of their own emotions. It's just know? very easy when you're not that person to see something and be like, that's gratuitous. you like, why much. would people watch that? Yeah. yeah, but it's the
0: same way that I will like kind of emotionally manipulative dramas you know like just really heavy sad movies or sad
2: songs you know like we talked about Mm -hmm. earlier and other people are like i can't watch that movie i can't watch a movie like that yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i could never watch a movie like that
0: yeah it helps you know cleanse these emotions
2: from myself i like a good crying movie (laughs) yeah yeah that's how i feel about it too that's why i don't understand oh i mean i do understand it but why i can't directly relate when someone's like i can't watch joker like someone told me like hey it's not real it's not I mean, it's not even that, like, it's not Schindler's List. I get mm-hmm. anyone
0: not wanting to watch this or not finishing it. Yeah. I totally get that with this.
1: Anytime somebody's like, I can't watch this, I give them the old clockwork orange treatment. And, uh, <laughs> you you, you yeah, cry but, their eyes open. Yeah, yeah, what do you mean?
0: I just think of Weird Al's MC Hammer parody.
1: I can't watch this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I can't watch this. My, my, my TV makes me so bored. Makes me scream. Oh, my Lord. What is this garbage here? Wanna cover my eyes and plug my ears?
2: It sucks. I watched the newest Evil Dead in theaters, and that was, that was extreme, but that was so ridiculous.
0: You know, I used to love those movies. They were hilarious. And I saw the new ones, I'm like, they're gonna try and make it real
2: and gross. They, yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they do <laughs> yeah. dial back the, the fun and funniness that the other ones, like Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness, had.
0: You know, Evil Dead 2 is like if Tommy Wiseau... Saw the reaction to the room and went, oh, they think it's funny?
2: Mm. All right, let's make a funny one. Yeah, do the exact same movie and just make it funny. Right?
0: Like the first one, they didn't know it was that bad and then that it was fucking funny anyway. And then they're like, oh, it's funny? Let's make them funny now.
2: Great. But having seen the new Evil Deads, both like I watched the show and I saw the one a couple years ago and this new one, like it's so extreme and grotesque. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, I was like, wow, movie magic. This, yeah, yeah. the amount of like the, work well, the, and like creativity craft. I mean cause it's like the main characters are a lot of them are kids and like the horrible mm. things happen to them and I was like this is upsetting but also like gee whiz I hate kids <laughs> 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 and clearly the point in this
1: one uh, you know supposed to be pushing your like no not the kids and then also like oh my god kids are scary
2: yeah oh yeah yeah
1: because they always make the creepiest little monsters when they get turned or whatever
2: I thought about what that would be like as like a... I could see as a very young actor, they probably are like, okay, I have to tell you what you're going to see. Is it real? We're doing this. You know, We're just playing that. Yeah, yeah. But like for the ones that are teenagers, I can imagine them being like, this is amazing that I got to be a part of this and really flex my acting chops. And yeah, yeah. The uh, the brother in that was, um, I think I told you it was Kobe in the live action One Piece.
1: Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. No glasses though? No glasses. Yeah. <laughs> that's really funny. I guess maybe it's just the mental gymnastics this isn't real but I've seen enough things to know that
2: Freddy Krueger isn't coming for you
1: yeah
2: he has intimacy issues is that what you mean Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) can't make Freddy Krueger come Mm -hmm.
0: is it me can I do something different what can we change he's like look I can't stroke it with these fingers I need your help yeah
1: (laughs) that's that's one dude you don't want a handy from
0: Shut up, bitch. The, the only dude I don't want to handle. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: uh, Bruce Campbell post-hands. Uh, I don't want one from him either. Uh, I don't want one from chainsaw <laughs> hand Bruce
2: Campbell. That's also why Evil Dead works so well, though, because Bruce Campbell, that character, is the perfect reaction to like the horror of demons and stuff, some guy who's just a little too dense uh, to really appreciate it. Just like, well, fuck! I'm <laughs> gonna shoot you. I guess. So that's, yeah. Keep going forward.
1: I think that I've seen enough real stuff to see how movie gore isn't realistic. Mm-hmm. And
0: so, especially e- in a Scorsese movie, because everything looks like red paint.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, totally. It, be, it could be your Japanese movie, Kill Bill, blood fountains. I can totally do that or Evil Dead stuff totally way easier yeah, than well, like, dude, it's my it's
2: my Joker. Destination when the glass drops on the yes. kid. It just looks like a little squishy dummy. Getting- <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And you know, all I'm trying to say is that you have like evil dead, the blood gushing out from the basement, the blood that never ends. Peter and- Jackson's
0: dead alive. You know. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, you're taking it so far that it, it's like laughable. Yeah. But that's kind of how I feel about it's all like the of drunk it. Driver now.
0: joke in this movie where it was like, Jesus Christ, but you still made me laugh at it. You know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: It, but I just generally kind of feel like that about all of it now. Yeah. Like, the things that really get me now are less about the gore and more about, like, terror and torture, Suffering. stuff like that, like very personal stuff. Uh, These scary movies that just set out to, you know, showcase gore or something to me now. is like, yeah. whatever, like, no, I don't want to see somebody you know have their – fingernails picked off or something right, like yeah. so, and, and I don't want close ups or anything like yeah. that because um, there's certain like button things for me I don't like stuff where people get burned uh, yeah. but some things are just like really upsetting to me but yeah, I just that V for
0: Vendetta was a letdown. yeah sorry fire flashback what
1: yeah. hey, come on this is November you guys should have just watched
0: this <laughs>
1: <laughs> I didn't watch it this year
0: but no I'm I'm, I'm with you there it's a decision and you got to be in the right head space. Like if I want to do this or even coming back to the killer with Michael Fassbender, uh-huh. the first 20 minutes, like we're spending all this time in his head mm-hmm. and he's narrating to us about his process and how he does his thing. And, you know, he sounds like someone who cares a lot about his work and he's very meticulous mm-hmm. and, you know, all this stuff. And then you see what he does. Did you get around to seeing it yet? No, but we see him. He is a hitman. So, all yeah. right. So then we see what he does. In actuality, and I'm like, oh, this guy is just a piece of shit. Though, like,
2: mm-hmm. at what which is like point, what hitmen hit are in real life. I know, but like, yeah.
0: at what point am I supposed to like root for this guy? There's not like some captivating villain or something, or where some charismatic you know yeah, antagonist Fincher,
2: why are you taking me on this journey
0: yeah I was ranting my friend Brian about this the other, the other day where he's like yeah I liked it alright and then I started kind of talking about a little bit and then by the end of it I'm screaming <laughs> 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 but like you kind of have to give me a reason you know give me a reason to take me into something like that mm. I, I don't
1: other than I'm just being root. attractive Michael Fassbender well, sure
0: <laughs> I'm not just gonna root for the main character just because I like the actor You know, by default, if he's a bad person, you know, like, I'm one of the people who was sort of baffled and appalled by those of us who were watching Breaking Bad in real time, and in the final season, people were still on Walt's side. I'm like, fuck! after all of this where have you been what what yeah. he's done to Hank you don't empathize with his situation like I don't care that we've spent all these seasons with him he is the bad guy like yeah. and yeah the people that could not get that through their head because they're so like I mean hey we we're friends with a lot of
2: rappers they're so anti-police that they just could not root for Hank against this guy mm. you know I mean that's the quality of the production it is other people too are just not thinking about it that way so they just can't break out of this is the guy we're experiencing it through, so I have to root for him. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, like the dissonance of that is too uncomfortable.
0: What I like yeah. a movie that makes you dislike a character and then still feel for a moment, oh, but I do hope he gets away, you know, and and those type of things because it kind of makes you go, ooh, why do I, <laughs>
2: why do I feel that way? Good mm-hmm. job, movie. There's a show I think I talked about it before that I highly recommend, Warrior, which is a uh, like a Max show, HBO Max or whatever. It takes place late 1800s in San Francisco, and it's about like Chinese immigrants and the gangs versus the Irish and the government and all that. And it's a martial arts show, but also the better part of it is just like the period drama and the conflict yeah. and stuff. But there's uh, that character who kind of leads the Irish, and he's totally one of those characters of like kind of a shithead. But as it goes on, you understand him a little more, and you get the character yeah. in a way where at the beginning you're like, "Fuck you." I feel like mm. obviously.
0: Tony Soprano, sort of the archetype for the like the anti-hero. But I still will come back to, even though I haven't watched it in many, many years, I still will come back to the wire as being the best character development I've ever seen, because the people who are the heroes on season one might be the villains on season two. And yeah. mm-hmm. and you know, the way they humanize the villains and and compromise your heroes and all these things over an extended story, even if it's not direct influence. I think it's just the way things are done now. Yeah. And so much of it originates with The Sopranos and they they ran with it, you know, they took it to another place. But that type of storytelling is some of the most interesting stuff you can do because it's not like these stories aren't interesting or these real-life violent people aren't figures of intrigue. Mm-hmm. But if you can show things on both sides and be objective... I think that's interesting, but I also think Arthur Fleck's singular focus is very interesting yeah. as well. We're all
2: flawed. And so that's it, well, speak for yourself. You yeah. are the most flawed person I've met. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so that's why these stories over the last, especially the last 20 years, when we're talking about like TV, have clicked with so many people is because that's yeah. the idea of like someone who is bad or makes bad decisions or is mm-hmm. mean or whatever, or selfish, still having redeeming qualities and there's layers to it.
0: Yeah, and I mm-hmm. think even as far back as like Dirty Harry, speaking of Clint Eastwood, will spark those great theater lobby discussions after the film of like, yes, he's fighting corruption in the system, and yes, he's taking out the bad guys, but also like what is his collateral damage? And then much like Batman, we see the things that inspire
2: worse versions of this to come mm-hmm. in the future. Yeah. Was Norman Bates really that bad? <laughs> It was his mom. Yeah, it was his mom, right. And when you watch Psycho 4, you learn that she was like a ghost and she possessed him and it was her evil.
0: Mm, yes, I'm sure everyone holds that one as the truth.
2: Uh, I don't know I, if that's true. There I, are a bunch of Psycho movies.
1: There. I actually watched the, what, two and three? I'd only ever seen the first one.
2: I didn't and know there were sequels. Did, yeah, yeah. did
0: Hitchcock make the sequels? No. I didn't think
1: so. I mean, clearly the best, it, but it just kind of continues the story in a, in a way that's not necessary. <laughs>
0: <laughs> See, speaking of movies that you never want to watch again, sometimes that's the reason. Like, okay, I want to know what happens next. I know they're not going to be as good. Yeah. And now that I know, I can still stick to the first one forever. Totally. And like it- I just watched all the Alien movies. Uh, well, I didn't get to Covenant because it wasn't on anything streaming, but all four of the originals plus Prometheus and went, all right, I'm good now. Mm-hmm. I can sell all these. <laughs> I don't
2: know. I could watch Alien and Alien.
0: Yeah, I I times, still love so. the originals. The first one is fantastic. The second one, the whole first act is like fucking Starship Troopers, man. It's insane. It's oh, just that's an incredible film. The most, co- most yeah. corny. Yeah, but that's intentionally corny. Like the goddamn 80s military guys and shit. And like, yeah. But the whole last half of Aliens is fucking amazing. But the first act is fucking nonsense. Um, I actually found myself liking David Fincher's much written about disaster, Alien 3. You could see
2: the cool Much movie more that than, it could have been.
0: I think that that's a far superior movie in terms of character development. I think it pissed people off by killing off Newt and... Um, that's
2: unforgivable. You know, Michael Bean, whatever that's, his character's name. That is name. really a terrible choice.
0: Yeah, but I, th- I think that it worked. Did we already talk about this? The end. Alien 3? Maybe it was uh, uh, when I was talking to my friend Brian because we talk about movies a lot, but the other movie that did this was Days of Future Past. Debatably the best X-Men movie. One of them, certainly. I watched it one time. It follows X-Men First Class. Some of the characters just aren't there, because now we're bringing in the old cast again, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's a certain point where, I think it's Magneto, is like just naming off Azazel and Firefly and all these motherfuckers who were like core cast in the last movie as he's just listing off all the casualties of this war. Unseen Mentioned as an aside that they died and they're doing the Alien 3 thing, but I think it's better executed. No, I get the,
2: why they did it, but the whole point yeah. of aliens is that those few characters triumph and escape, and then so to just off screen basically kill them, they could have had them like land somewhere else and they made it and they're just away, but to kill them outright is just unceremoniously, yeah. yeah. I know, to not, I, to not have something again, like, I'm
0: just mentioning like. X-Men is a better version of that happening. A less upsetting version. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But like, I do think the third one has some of the best visuals. It's the best character development. And then the ending is really where... Like, I don't know the ins and outs of the movie. I just kind of know it had studio issues and they did some reshoots. And I think he quit and they took it back from him, something like that. But... In the finale, as Ripley is like sacrificing herself, she's falling into the fucking lava pit or whatever, like Terminator 2. I'm like, oh my god, this is like a powerful way for Ripley to go out. This is amazing. And then the fucking chest burster comes out while mm. she's mid air, and I laughed so hard. <laughs> I laughed and laughed. And I'm like, oh, that was a fucking reshoot. That was some executive's worst idea ever, and they just made it. It, it took like a very Emotionally resonant climax, like the ending of the film, she and like made it, it too. Doesn't she hilarious? Yeah, she holds
1: it in. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah,
0: my baby's <laughs> <It's> terrible. Yeah, <laughs> terrible. But anyway, I just need to get to the rating. This is why I snuck off to pee we we because cons too. we're. Well, I mean, I already said mine, and then we went on for twenty minutes oh. about other things. Was there anything else in the cons? Yeah. Nah, well, I'm then gonna... why did you bring me back to it, <laughs> you son of a bitch? Just keeping you honest. Hijacking the show. Oh, yeah, I'm known for fucking lies.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You Rating. said it. Rating? Four and a half.
1: Mm, um,
0: Has to be a positive uh, co- figure. Yep.
1: Quality <laughs> and execution. Uh We'll say five on the do I actually like it and do I want to watch it again? It would be like a, a one or a two.
2: <laughs> wow. One or so, I would say I'm with you, just not maybe that extreme, but like, yeah. Well, I mean, how would you
0: uh,
2: wrap that into a... A three and a half. Okay. No. what yeah. nope. Maybe um, three they, and a half said, is my real um, rating. I just se- felt like you're going to attack me if I give it less than four or something. I still I
3: have
1: <laughs> separate categories.
0: Okay. Well, it's the end of the show. We're breaking all the rules. Five out of five. It's not something I can rewatch very often at all, but I really love all of this discussion that we can have about it. And... It's just so beautifully shot. It's so fascinating to watch his performance that uh, I can't really fault it for anything.
2: And a legitimate addition to the universe of Batman. Yeah, not just an afterthought of covering in that stuff to shoehorn it in. Mm.
0: Yeah, which is really an unfair criticism that to me misses the point. Like we watched a different movie or something. If you don't, if you don't see all the breadcrumbs that they leave in for you, so. All right, that is it. I don't know why I said it like that because that's like (laughs) how I do the outro. (laughs) All right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening, especially if you've been with us from the beginning. It's been three seasons over four years and it's crazy to think that the three of us friends bullshitting in this room are heard by all of you out there around the world. So thank you guys for for your support we have one more episode left for season three if you don't already follow us on Instagram at batfan addict and drop that five star rating and review on your podcast app the next episode will have a review but it will be different because we're going to go through why I call myself the dark knight of rap we're going to go look back at the show and we're going to look ahead at season four introducing a new co-host so stay tuned for the season finale